Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Oh, I came in pretty hot there. Yeah. Whoa. I can't help it. I'm just that hot. Well, you're super hot there, Moniz. How's that? Is that a little better? Yeah, a little bit better. And that's the only time in your life you'll ever hear me use the phrase, you're super hot, Moniz. Unless we're in a sauna. Even even then, I'm not. if we're in a sauna <laughs> together, I'm not yeah. going to talk to you. I don't know where you would come up with the idea that I might actually want to have a conversation. In a sauna. In a sauna. That is not a place. When you're in a locker room, you don't talk to anybody else. That's the rule. I don't know why people insist on having conversations in locker rooms. I mean, it's different if you're a professional athlete because yeah. Yeah. then it's my job to be in there asking you questions. But. No, that's what I thought. It was like uh, I've seen you do uh, many interviews in locker rooms or hear hear them, not see them. This this guy been following me in locker rooms. <laughs> I should worry about that. Well, this is Spooky South Coast where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. I am Tim Weisberg. This is science advisor Matt Moniz and the silent assassin Matt Costa is here as well. He's just uh, he's hiding over there in the corner. How are you tonight, Matt? You doing okay? doing fine. All right. Well, we are here to take you into the world of the paranormal. It's what we do on WBSM usually, but tonight the Red Sox are on. So we're going to be broadcasting solely over Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you're watching the show, well, then you know how to find it. I don't have to tell you. But if you're watching this later on on YouTube or if you're hearing it later on on podcast, all you have to do on Saturday nights is go to SpookySouthCoast.com and you can find us live right there on the website or you can go to YouTube you can download the Spooky South Coast app. But I think a lot of people are joining us just straight up via YouTube these days. And to do that, it's where, I mean, you can get YouTube anywhere. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your laptop. You can get it on your tablet. You can get it on your smart TV or streaming device. You can get it right from your Xfinity cable box. So there's really no excuse not to join us live on Saturday nights. But, of course, if you can't, we, we podcast it out and we put the videos up there on YouTube. So it's always available Anytime, when you're taking a dump, you want to watch the latest Spooky South Coast, you certainly can. That's where I watch the show. That's where I consume our content. Yeah. Well, it'll just pass right through me. Yep. All right. But tonight we are going to have a serious show. I realize I shouldn't be making so many jokes because uh, coming up in a little while, we're going to be joined by Tom Reed. And Tom has a very interesting story to share with the audience. He has one of the uh, most fascinating UFO experience, a couple of experiences, uh, in the course of his life that he's going to share with us. But there's also some controversy around that as well, because we know how hard it is to get mainstream media to recognize a, a UFO experience, how uh, difficult it is to have the coverage taken seriously of UFO sightings and, and experiences, that it's it's worth... We're fighting against two schools of thought in this. We're fighting against two enemies when it comes to these kind of stories. We're fighting against belief, and we're also fighting against acceptance. And the two don't go hand in hand necessarily. So when you can have a story like Tom's where it gets mainstream media attention, where it gets people who are willing to sign on and give it a level of belief, that is... Winning half the battle right there. This guy's a pro. He's got his cell phone <laughs> audio. Usually most people know not to text me. <laughs> but um, so we, this case has that level of belief. There's people who believe Tom's story. But it also has reached the level of acceptance. And that's something that is rare to have it be something that is recognized and we're going to get into that with Tom 
because one entity recognized it and then kind of is hedging on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the governor of Massachusetts signed a proclamation yes. about this case. And then ratified by a judge. judge. The governor doesn't just sign proclamations for anything. Correct. I mean, you know, part of his job is signing ceremonial proclamations, and so they will just have him sign things and just put a stack of them in front of him or say, you know, here's here's the proclamations that you need to sign for today. But I'm pretty sure that he would have to do a little bit of research or have somebody on his staff do a little bit of research before he would put his name to a proclamation regarding a UFO case. Yeah, you would think whatever he's signing should have been vetted or is vetted. At the very least. I mean, I would say if I was the governor, I'd say I want all the, you know, I want all the facts myself before I put my name on this. But he might be willing to just take the word of his staff, somebody on his staff that did the work. But still, somebody did some digging. Somebody did some research. Somebody felt like this was strong enough to say, Governor Baker, this is not something they can throw up in your face when you run for reelection. If we feel like this will be a problem, we would let you know. So they've – I mean, he's a Republican governor in a completely blue state. Yeah. So – and I get a lot of those in the state, though. Well, I know people like to say that he's, you know, a rhino, Republican in name only. Uh, I but, would agree, but, yeah. But still, the fact of the matter is, if you're a Republican governor in Massachusetts, you tread lightly. And so you're not going to give your enemies fuel for the fire and sign some UFO proclamation that's, you know, some half-baked story. So the fact that the governor's office felt that this was worthy enough of signing that proclamation is another part of that acceptance. So this is one of those cases that has reached those two levels that is so hard for us and everything that it is that, that we do. So that acceptance has led to the creation of a UFO monument park is, yep. is what they're, they're doing here. And now that has led to a whole bunch of controversy. So we're going to get into that with Tom coming up in just a few moments. And uh, that will be the dominant topic for the rest of the night. We also have some special guests that will be joining us later on to help us dissect Tom's story and dissect exactly what's going on. And this is this is a big deal. For those of you who are outside of the area, this is a big deal. This is a story that is on the front page of newspapers here in Massachusetts. Na- it's, it's also it, national. It, it's going to be on the front page of the Boston Globe. We're scooping the Boston Globe here. <laughs> We're scooping a lot of these newspapers tonight with this story. And it has ramifications. You're looking at the Spooky South Coast YouTube stream, or you're looking maybe at the uh, the uh, iPod, uh, the iTunes description of the podcast, and you're saying, "Well, UFO case in Massachusetts, eh, you know, I don't, whatever. It's one one case in Massachusetts, but this has huge ramifications when it comes to some of these other key UFO spots. You know, we look at the Betty and Barney Hill case. We look yep. at Roswell. You know, these are places where there are monuments." That recognize those, ca- or you know, in the very least, there's a sign. Correct. And if there's something that recognizes those, and this is up there with those cases. It's it's worthy of being up there with those cases. So we're going to get into all that coming up. I just want to touch on one thing first before we get involved in that. This past Thursday was National Paranormal Day. Speaking of which, I just saw a ghost walk by the window. Oh mm-hmm. no, it's just a guy. Yeah. It's just odd when you see people walking by it. 10, 15 at night. So it was National Paranormal Day. I totally forgot about it. We did something last year for it, and I totally forgot because it makes no sense 
that National Paranormal Day comes in May. I don't get it. You would figure it'd be October, right? But they have... I don't, think, I don't think anybody, like, proclaims them. Right. It's just, it's you know, one of those things where they... It, start, it probably starts on the internet and then goes from there. Yeah. They, if you ever go to, like, the whatever of the day calendar online, they all, it's every day is a national something day. Right. You know, national hot dog day, national grilled cheese and tomato day. There's, you know, there's, every day has multiple things that it's the day of. But whoever decided to make sometime in May National Paranormal Day just doesn't make sense because we have National Ghost Hunting Day on October 1st. So, yes, I understand that the paranormal is about more than ghost yeah. hunting. So National Paranormal Day should be, you know, covering all of those. Top- but it's still, it just doesn't make any sense that it's in May. Maybe it's just because they said, let's pick a time of the year where people wouldn't be focused on this topic just to make them focused on it. But anyway, the bottom line is I totally forgot about it. And I came into work. Everybody's wishing me happy National Paranormal Day. I'm like, what? What is this? So I decided that we would do something for it. So we we decided to hold an investigation of the studios. We've talked for years about how the studios here are haunted. And we've talked about how we've had weird, strange things that have happened to us pretty much from the beginning of the show 12 years ago. There's always been stuff that's gone on. One of the earliest examples, and, and I've mentioned this before, was that uh, I would be here alone sometimes, and I'd walk back to our kitchen area, and the cabinets would be closed, and I'd go to the bathroom, and I'd come out of the bathroom, which is right down the hallway from the kitchen area, yep. and I'd come out of the bathroom, and I'd come walking back to the studio and turn around and look, and the cabinets would all be open. For the longest time, there was those mysterious ghostly voices that I would hear in the bathroom when I was in the restroom. I would hear people talking at all hours of the night, and I could never figure out, like, there's nobody here. There's a subway next to us, and there is a center for special needs people on the other side of us. So there's nobody there at midnight. Yeah, or shouldn't be. So where are these voices coming from? Well, I kind of debunked that one. Because for years, for a lot of years... For 11 out of the 12 years we've been doing this show, I had no idea that the engineer has, like, a whole cave back there. He's got an office. He's got a storage room. I didn't even know that that existed. Matt showed it to me. He's like, oh, go back into Frank's room, and you can get that part that you need. And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, Frank's got a whole room back there. And I went back there, and I was like, I've never seen this before. I had no idea this was there. And it's right behind the bathrooms. And, of course, he has a radio in there that he leaves on. So all the time that I've been hearing voices when I'm going to the bathroom, you know, thinking that somebody's watching me. It's just his radio monitor. It's just the radio going on uh, off in the cave that I didn't even know existed. So that one was debunked. But we still have other experiences that happen here. We have had a number of employees who have worked here who have passed away in recent years, some of them very young, but and who would still have a reason to want to stick around the studio. And uh, because we do have, in addition to WBSM's, studio where we do this show. We have an FM station here as well. And then there's the salespeople that work in the back. But one of the frequent problems that we have, one of the frequent issues is the shadow figures that will walk by the window over here. And they will walk, we'll see them walk by the glass window to the studio door and they'll come into the dubbing studio behind me, which has a motion sensor light. 
The light goes on. And you will see the yeah. shadow walk by, the light go on, but nobody is in the room. And the doors are not open. The doors are locked. If anybody was going to come in that didn't have a key, we would have to buzz them in. So there's no way somebody's coming in here and, and messing around with us. Uh, we're seeing this, this, and we get up and we chase this figure around and, you know, we don't know where it goes. So we decided, uh, myself and my, my boss, Taylor Cormier, the news director here, has an interest in the paranormal. So we decided to kind of walk around and conduct an investigation. And we tried some old school stuff. We tried some new school stuff. We did some mirror gazing, some dowsing rods. We walked around with the Mel meters and the K2 meters and we did, uh, we had the laser pen, you know, different things like that, just to try out. Nothing that we felt was going to be definitive proof of the existence of ghosts. We were just kind of messing around and, and doing it on Facebook Live. But we had an interesting, uh, I had an interesting idea, where we went into that back studio, the back recording studio, and there's three microphones going around the table, just like we have here, you know, high-quality condenser microphones, that all feed into one pot on the board, they have separate volume controls on the side, but they all feed into one pod on the board, and one, and that goes into a computer to record an Adobe Audition. So we conducted an EVP session by turning on all those microphones full blast and then running it through Adobe so that not only could we maybe catch something, but we would get the visualization for it. And I'm thinking to myself, this is, like, revolutionary. Like, this is how we should be doing this. <laughs> and then, like, in the middle of it, it dawns on me, Wait, Mike Markowitz has been doing this for as long as we've known him. That's exactly how he does it. Yeah. Uh, So now I can see the value in how he does it. But we didn't really have uh, anything overt happen to us when we were messing around. But the video is up there. We have it up on YouTube if people want to check it out. It's part of it. There was a – it looked like you only got until Taylor showed up. Right. Under the YouTube. Is that – is there a Uh, separate video? It's uh, something to do with Facebook. Okay. Would it help if if I – Downloaded the video, or uh, you can try. I, I tried it three times. Oh, it's on the Spooky South Coast. No, I thought, I thought maybe because it was on my page, you were having trouble, but it wasn't on my page. It was on the Spooky yeah, yeah. South Coast page. Yeah, so you would be able to get it. Um, but I blame Zuckerberg. It probably is Zuckerberg's <laughs> fault. So there's nothing we can do then to get that out there. But it's but on you, the it's on can, it's on the Spooky South yeah, Coast Facebook can, page. Yeah, just go to Facebook and uh, and and check it out for yourself. It's. Believe me, if you are skeptical about paranormal investigation, the video is not going to change your mind. <laughs> but it was just a way to kind of have some fun on National Paranormal Day. There is a weird electromagnetic field anomaly in the back in the sales office that I do want to show you guys later because we couldn't figure it out. Poured concrete floor. But yet there's this one spot where there's a high level of EMF. The only thing I can think of is that there's something... In the foundation. Yeah, they probably ran the electrical service underneath. Underneath, underneath poured concrete? Yeah. Okay. Through, but how are you going to get to, how do you get to it if you need to fix it? Uh, they pull it through, like a, with the snake. Uh, they do the okay. same thing with cable. So it has that like metal, you know, the, uh, like, yeah, you know, like the crimp toes kind of? Yeah, yeah, it's in a conduit. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that explains that. But it is kind of just one weird spot. We just thought it was Gale. Okay. It's over by Gail's desk, so we just thought it was Gail. We're like, if ever a ghost was going to congregate somewhere in this building, it would be at Gail's desk because that's where the snacks are. And as we know, snacks are the most important thing ghost when it comes to Twizzlers. They do, and uh, and pretzels. Right, they do. She always has pretzels. And where this building is, as far as I know, this was nothing but farm field. 
up until the late 60s? At one point, it was um, this whole neck, from what I understand, was all one farm Yeah, uh, years ago. But uh, I don't know how long civilization has been here. I mean, I, I've been coming to this plaza since the mid-90s, so I can tell you that this plaza has been here that long. Oh, my father grew up right down the road. And I we, remember coming by here as a kid. We used to play pool down the street and buy our... We used to get our CDs and our cassette <laughs> tapes down at Strawberries. Oh, God, Strawberries. Do you remember Strawberries? Pepperidge Farms remembers. Uh, but, you know, we had, you had a record store here. We had a pool hall. We had a bowling alley across the street. Imagine how awesome this place would be to work if we worked here in the 90s. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's cool here now, but now we're just surrounded by dirty video store and a, a subway. Like a dentist. And... There is a dentist. There's a sushi place now. Yeah. The 99 wasn't here all the time, was it? It wasn't? I don't remember. But either way, I think that uh, I think that if we had been here in the 90s, we would have been too distracted to do this show. We'd be shooting pool on Saturday nights, going bowling, you know. Got the uh, roller skating rink right behind us. Oh, that's a whole different story. You can yep. uh, you can check that story out on, uh, on fun107.com and on wbsm.com. I'm talking going back in the day, but oh, okay. Oh yeah, but we're we're talking about that so, might not be around around there much longer. From what I heard, uh, she she talks about back in the day too. <laughs> yeah, back in the day when uh, you could say those kind of things. Right. But. Well, we'll tell you after the the owner of the skating rink sent some hot water from some uh, some racial Alleg- statements oh, that she she allegedly. made allegedly. Right. I don't think it's the same people from the eighties. No, no, no. It's it's this lady uh, only took over like in the last ten fifteen years or so. But oh yeah yeah. We, we we can talk about that later. Okay. It's, let's just say. Off color? Let's let's just say that uh, she's in a lot of hot water and the future of skating over there may be, uh, may be in danger. It's bad. Okay. All right. So, well, we're going to be joined in just a few moments by Tom Reed. We'll remind everybody, if you want to call in during the show, 508-996-0500 is the number to do so. But in addition to calling in, and asking questions and, and sharing comments, you can join us in the chat room on YouTube. So if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com and you click on the video there, or if you go to YouTube directly, you can see our chat room. And I want to say hi to everybody in the chat room. We've it's, it's already double what it usually is on a night like tonight, and I think I know part of the reason why that is. I want to say hi to all the bell gabbers that are in there. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't turn into the same chat room that it was uh, for a different show earlier this week. Okay. There's some things going on in the paranormal world right now. There always is. And I don't want to get too much into it, but there's some things going on. Uh, of course, a couple of weeks ago we had our, our special tribute to Art Bell, where we tried to pay tribute and tried to pay homage to Art Bell without making it too much about ourselves, because... When you're doing a tribute to someone, it should be about them and their memory. And, uh, yeah. Drama. There is. Yeah. Drama like I haven't seen before. I mean, I shouldn't yeah. say that because <laughs> like, I've seen really? it before. <laughs> it's it's funny because I, uh, I see some people who don't get involved in other paranormal radio shows commenting on what's going on. And I'm almost like, if you only knew the half of it. 
this is what we've been dealing with for the last decade plus. This is the kind of stuff that happens all the time, but this is just on a much bigger scale. Uh, so I don't want to get into too much of that, but what I will say is uh, if you listen to this show on the Dark Matter Digital Network, if you are a fan of listening to the Spooky South Coast show there, uh, the Midnight in the Desert flagship program for Dark Matter will have a new host as of Monday. It's not me. For everybody that's been speculating that, um, I did throw my name out there as somebody that was interested. They're going in a different direction. Uh, I've been talking with Keith. Or I'm going to be talking with Keith uh, in the future. Um, you know, we see if we can get some more stuff going with Spooky South Coast. Maybe they can carry us live on Saturday nights. Hmm. Uh, you know, with some some different things. But uh, I do not know who the new host is. I've asked Keith. He hasn't told me, but he did tell me that the new host will debut Monday in the regular time slot for Midnight in the Desert. And it will be called Midnight in the Desert. So, okay. If you've been following along with all of that, uh, I see the I see the bell gabbers are in the chat room. They're gonna love Nightbot. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna love our AI friend Nightbot that tells jokes in the chat room uh, during the show. But uh, so absolutely, tune in Monday night for Midnight in the Desert. It's uh, it's midnight Eastern time for those of you who are, are you know local to us, and uh, the new host will be there. They're not announcing it ahead of time, I guess. It's going to be a surprise on Monday night. We think we know who it is, but uh, I'll be sure to tune in and, and see, and then we'll see where the show goes. Is it Gilbert Godfrey? It is not. That would be amazing. <laughs> if it was Gilbert Godfrey, I would. I just I'd throw money at Dark Matter. I'd be like, just take it all. I don't have any, but you can have what I do have because that would be amazing. I've actually been trying to talk to Gilbert Gottfried's co-host, Frank Santopadre, uh, for his podcast to try to get them to bring on John Tenney because he'd be the perfect guest to talk about paranormal topics, but he's also an old Hollywood nut like they are. Yeah. And he's the one that actually turned me on to that podcast. So he would be a perfect fit for that show, but I think that they've... Uh, I don't think that they feel like he's a, a big enough name for them to bring in that people would know who he is, I guess. But I could just imagine that, you know, just like, so tell me about these ghosts. You know, like I think it would. That was a great impression. Yeah, it was. Actually. He doesn't actually, he doesn't talk. really good. He doesn't talk in that voice on the show. He doesn't use his shtick. I mean, when he laughs or, or when he gets excited, sometimes it'll sound like that. But, uh, f- but for the most part, he, he talks in his regular voice. And if you haven't seen the documentary Gilbert on Hulu, I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. If you are, you know, I my my wife doesn't like him. I know a lot of people that don't like his comedy, but if you watch it, you will fall in love with the man because he is uh, just such a sweet guy and uh, and cheap as hell. He has saved pretty much every dollar he's ever ever made, and uh, he is famous for taking things out of hotels. So he has these gigantic Tupperware, uh, you know, the plastic rubber bins, whatever, all over his house under all the beds. The big, big ones now I'm talking, loaded with all the hotel soaps and shampoos. <laughs> and uh, he, he walks around his house in bathrobes and slippers that he got from hotels. It's, you know, he, when he goes into a, into a comedy club and he goes into the green room, he takes home all the leftover candy and soda and everything. My hero. Because <laughs> I, I do the same thing. You know, if I go to a paranormal convention and there's a green room, that stuff's coming home with me. Nobody's going to miss it. All these uh, paranormal TV stars are making the big bucks. I do a radio show for free. I'm taking these M and M's. So, all right. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we try to get into the topic with our guest Tom Reed? 
I'm going to try and bring him up over Skype. I just spent the earlier part of this week blasting a radio show for setting up Skype calls on the air. Now I'm doing the same thing. I thought I shut the sounds off on that. That's okay. It's more authentic this way. It is. Add suspense. Hey, guys. Hey, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks oh. for having me. Oh, we're happy to have you here on the show. It's It's been a long time coming. Moniz has been telling us for, for a couple of years now that you know we have to have Tom Reed on, but you're a busy guy, and uh, I'm glad we could finally nail you down to uh, to come on and join us because it seems like it's the perfect time with all that's going on. Oh yeah, couldn't be couldn't be better. And I've got so much to say. So, am I on? Am I live right now, or you, am I in, in the queue? You are live on the air, uh, but it, okay. it, it is YouTube. So, you know, uh, it's not like we have to follow all of the the, the Red Sox game still on on the radio. So wow. we have a little bit of freedom. But uh, we <laughs> we do tag it family friendly, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll be careful. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little uh, fired up too. So, but yeah, where do you want to start? I mean, it has been one heck of a month. So, well, well I think first of all, uh, you know, in order to put all of this in context, I think we have to kind of just get right into what the experience was that you had. You were a young child in Massachusetts, out out in the Berkshires, and you right. had uh, actually multiple experiences out there. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, the uh, 69 is the one I focus on the most because it's the one that obviously got inducted. And, and our case is so – or I shouldn't say a case. I'd say our family's uh, involvement and in, in what took place in that area uh, you know, spans several years. And, and uh, my God, it's like if I – I could take up five hours of your show. So I'm going to try to get right to it, I guess. Um, Back in 66 was really the first time that we saw anything in the Berkshires, in Great Barrington or Sheffield, I should say. And we, we mentioned it in our, in our restaurant. We mentioned what we saw. We, men- we mentioned this craft that looked like a, a turtle shell in, in a lot of ways. And we had a lot of references for things because we were kids and we would, and that's one of the reasons we remembered it because we remember things visually that, that, that we even today, you know, see every day, you know, like a turtle, right? So, this thing looked like a turtle shell. It had, it had, um, it looked like uh, almost type of uh, panels of some sort in it. It was about sixty feet around. Uh, we did not see any. It was on the ground. We did not see any landing gear. We did not see any windows. We did not see anything. It just looked like a, uh, like it was the whole thing was covered in a, uh, like a shell. When I first saw it, we thought it was like a big pile of dirt, and 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 so it was. Still, there was nothing really going on with it at, at first when we saw this thing, and and you know there was it it looked completely sealed. But the round side of it, and this is something I think is quite unique, it didn't come to a point where this thing looked like a you know could come to a disc, and it was round. Uh, the sides of it were very high and very uh, almost like a tire, if that makes sense, almost like a, a pewter looking uh, tire of some sort. It was it the top was rounded a bit, the bottom was pretty much the same as the top in the middle of it just look or the center of it i should say which was when about 10 feet tall maybe or high was rounded and um not like anything else i've ever seen and, and i've got an image of it in the roswell museum but that's very accurate to what it looked like and so the, and we mentioned that in our restaurant back in in the 70s this village of the green which is like this little jukebox inspired diner back in the day and everyone ate there and this played a very important part and where we are today, you know, I mean, this month in the news, it we we mentioned it in the restaurant, and a lot of people didn't obviously didn't weren't on board with it, 
and it, so it created some turbulence. And then in 67, um, the following year, and again in September, you know, we saw it again. And so it kind of, we, we talked about it more and more in the restaurant. But now this restaurant became very significant for a lot of reasons. Mostly because in the earlier years when we talked about this, there were so many, uh, arguments and, and, and people, the disagreement and different opinions mm-hmm. on what we saw. And that created, uh, a, a ripple in, in the natural progression of the community. Now, in 67, like I said, it was basically the same thing. You know, we saw the same thing. Now, in 69, when we saw what we saw, we didn't actually see what we saw in 66 and 67, which a lot of people don't understand that. You know, they all think – they kind of put out all this into a blender and they hit spin or great, right? And all sure, of a sudden, yeah. everything gets mixed up. <clears throat> so in 69, which I really want to get to, I was at a horse show in what's now a ski resort called Ski Butternut. And I was coming back with my mother. We were in a station wagon, a Bel Air station wagon. My brother was in the back seat with me. My mother and grandmother were in the car with us. My mother was not married at the time. And um, we were going down Route 7, which right through Great Barrington and heading into Sheffield. We stopped at a restaurant called The Meadows and where we took a break and had something to eat. And it was really kind of weird that night because it was – it was a it was Labor Day weekend. You would have thought there would have been a lot of traffic. There was really no one on the roads. Um, and after we ate, we went to the restaurant that we owned, the Village on the Green, which was right in the heart of Sheffield. And it was the only eatery in town. No one else. There was nothing, nowhere else to eat. And and so we we had our cook keep it open later. And um, my mother went in to check on things, make sure that the chairs were up, and. Um, and we uh, make the deposit box and you know, drop and that kind of thing. So we we parked around back. We came in and and sure enough, you know, we took a couple of minutes. We had some shakes. I remember, you know, my mother used to make her shakes, and they cleaned up. And we were getting ready to leave. She made the drop at the uh, the bank, which is important, played a part in this. And um, there was a store right next to it called Silks. And so my grandmother had gone in and gotten a. She used to smoke, so she grabbed a pack of Tarrington cigarettes, I guess. That's what she says. And, and so we got in the car and after that, which is played again, it was important because people saw us just before this happened. And so we took off, left the town of Sheffield and we went up maybe, I don't know, like a sixteenth of a mile and we took a right down this road where there's a, this red covered bridge. And, um, as we came over it, and this is not something I mention a lot. There was something odd. My mother did reference, and my mother's actually in the next room right now. I take care of her now. But we were talking about this not that long ago, that when the car came down that dirt road and started to go over the bridge, there was a weird reflection of light of some sort because she said the, the headlights of the car just didn't seem to make sense with the reflections that were coming from the planks and the boards. So whatever we did see was definitely below the bridge along the water. Now, I've never said it came out of the water, but it was lower than the bridge. So we came over the bridge, and as soon as we exited the bridge, um, my grandmother had turned around because I was giving my brother a candy, and she thought he could choke on it. But at the same time, they were interested in why this, these lights were still behind us in the bridge that we initially thought was a little odd anyway, but assumed they were the headlights. And so my grandmother was looking out the back of the window, and and it wasn't until we realized that she had really seen something that we all turned around. And sure enough, this thing looked very much, and I'm going to just initially, it looked like an upside-down Hershey's Kiss. 
because there was what looked like lights coming out of it towards the bottom near the water. And again, it was over the Housatonic River, so it probably was reflection again. But it, when it rose up, and it, I, again, I didn't say it came out of the water. I don't know where it was initially because we don't. We, there's a bank there, and it's a lot of open space, very swampy. And we saw this thing rise, and it was frigging incredible. And it all didn't rise up that high, and it did not. A lot of people say it came over our car. It didn't come over our car. It actually went away from our car, and it went further out around a bank of trees and over what is now a huge cornfield. And Where corn, by, yeah. By the way, corn grows seventeen feet there. It's really weird now. Yeah, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, you know, if you've already had these two previous experiences, these two previous encounters, uh, you know, you're going to be on alert for things that are going to be strange and and, and weird. Uh, when something like this starts to happen, you're going to hone in on it and you're going to pay attention. And and it sounds like that's what happened. And and it seems like, um, you know, you kind of had that feeling. This is something that's totally different, and this is something that is not the same thing that we've experienced before. Right, and and we never saw anything actually rise up or move before. You know, mm-hmm. what we saw before was on the ground. This this was actually something that was just it, it, the way it moved, how silent it was, and 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 how big it what well, looked, and this light around it. I mean, it was and it was dark. It was like probably eight thirty nine o'clock on a, in September, and it was just amazing, and and. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we were not a novice to this thing, but this was the first time that we actually saw something totally together in the same car at the same time. And and we were just like – and my mother, by the way, she did actually see something in 1954 um, in Moosehead Lake in, in Maine, um, and, which is why our case is actually on um, – a lot of times it's, it's referenced as a 1954 incident because that's the first time my mother actually really saw something. So we have had – some weird experiences with this, and it's followed our family for whatever reason. And I don't want to speculate. A lot of people well, tell me, for I was, diff- yeah. I was just going to ask you that question. If you think that there is a reason, is it is it just so much that you know you've had one experience and that leads to being more perceptive of others, or do you think there's a reason mm. that you have been kind of uh, uh, chosen to see these these things on multiple occasions? That's a really good question. There's so many variables. I, you know. Uh, we, there's so many things that I would say, okay, yes, this doesn't add up or this makes sense. And to give you an example, I don't know how much truth there is to the RH negative factor, but nine of us in our family are RH negative. That is a high number. That is that is odd. I'm O negative. My son is A negative. My ex-wife was AB negative. I married a, and a, and a, my wife was obviously I married someone with the O negative gene. Um, my brother the same thing. So his kids are all RH negative, and and my mother. My dad was O negative. That's where I got it from. So there's a lot of fa- family members that are O negative, and do I think that there's a connection to that personally? Yes, I do. But can I prove it? Of course not. Right. But I do. Th- but I do think that the uh, O negative uh, blood group was the initial blood of man. I really do believe that. And my my temperature, my body temperature runs at 97.1. It doesn't run at the normal rate of other people. So if I go into the doctor and I'm like 99.1, I have a two point temperature, but I can't get any antibiotics for anything mm-hmm. because oh no that's just no it, no it, it that is a two point temperature to me and I have to sell that all the time and they don't buy it but you would think doctors would know that but anyway so there are some strange things connected to our family um, my brother my, my my brother's children my son have a lot of insight there are some things that are different in our family we 
we've always been very different. Going back as, as kids, I never, you know, going outside and throwing a frisbee around and doing normal things bored me. I was always a thinker. I was always forward thinking. I always felt like I was different. Sometimes I felt like I didn't even belong in my own body. You know what I mean? I just, there was things that I've always been fascinated with certain subjects in space and wanting to know what, you know, why us and why did this happen? And, and I, that's why I ended up getting a camera. The first time I ever bought a camera was because I said, I didn't buy the first one. It was a gift, but I mean, I've always had a camera since this happened because I said to myself and my, my family too, if this ever happens again, I want to get a, a picture of it. I want to, and that's ended up being my career over time. But, but yeah, so there are some quirky things and, and still today, I mean, I, we have odd things in our home. Sometimes I'll see a, uh, like a smudge or I'll see something that isn't, is peculiar to others. But to me, I get so used to it. Um, uh, in the house even, or I hear footsteps or I hear, I'll be in the basement. I'll hear someone walking across this, the, the kitchen floor and I run upstairs thinking my son's home and there's nobody here. And my girlfriend was over one night and we're hanging out up in the bedroom and she was like on top of the covers you know she wasn't dressed or anything so we heard footsteps clear as a bell coming up the steps of my house and you know we ran out we ran out to the door to say hey listen we'll be you know we're gonna shut the door we'll be out in a minute and no one was there and when yvonne smith was at my house and Lori wagner and other people have been here they've kind of had some odd feelings too about things and 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 so it's not like our house it's us there is something connected right. us. It, it sounds yeah. it sounds to me like you know the the very definition of you hear the phrases not so much anymore but it was a big thing a, a few years ago to hear about indigo children and, and crystal children it, it sounds yeah. like you know you might be of that of that group of that uh delineation of of mankind well to give you an idea my my son he was a uh, fifth grade he uh beat an unbeaten chess bro um i think matt's met my son and um and then uh, he, he, there are times where he just I'll give you an example. Um, he was at his girlfriend's about two years ago, and called me in the middle of the night, and it's like, you know, Daddy, okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, check the house, check the house. He was in a panic, and usually when he says something like that, I'm, I'm going to follow his lead on it because I know, you know, how he is about this stuff, and he's usually 100. He's almost always right. And so I checked the, went down the basement, checked the windows, the sliders, the whole bit, and assured him, I'm fine, you know, I'm okay. I put the floodlights on outside, whatever. And, um, he was so shaken by it, he had to come back to the house. So this was about a 45 minute drive for him. So he, as he's coming down North Shore, which is where I live, um, he makes the corner bend to get onto our, right where my, I'm gonna, my house is on a corner, comes around the corner, and sure enough, there's an SUV there flipped upside down, well, on the side, you know, and there's a, a, a woman hanging out of the sunroof, um, and dead. And so he felt that before it even happened because when he got there, the paramedics and the ambulances and so on, they weren't even there yet. So this is the, the kind of thing he has been pretty, uh, it's, this is a routine thing. He's been doing things like this and had been this foresight his whole life. So, if there was anything positive that came from this, I would say that our children are a little more advanced than we are. I, I certainly can't, you know, do the things that he can do, and and uh, and so I, in a way, whatever happened back in the day was certainly something that, in a lot of ways, we benefited from. I don't think it was a horrible thing. I don't. I think the the town of Sheffield and the way they're treating us right now is horrible. But the event itself. Um, of course, it's nerve-wracking. You see something different. You you experience an, 
something that most others will never experience. You can't really share it with anybody, but at the same time, you know, it, just because you saw something or witnessed something or were involved in something doesn't necessarily mean it was there to frighten you or scare you. Somebody not looks in my window at 3 o'clock in the morning is, is a joke, is going to frighten me, but doesn't mean he meant to do that, right? right. So <clears throat> it's all on how you, how you look at it. But yeah, as a child, yes, of course it screwed us up. I mean, I, talking about this in school, you know, getting fights all the time. I was always in fights in school. High school, it was just crazy. And, and, but then again, I lived in a very small town and people were set in their ways and they still are today. But, but you must but have, any, I mean, you must have, uh, you know, had some discussions with people after the fact. As you said, you know, it, it had been mentioned in the restaurant. I can tell you that this show, Spooky South Coast, was pretty much built in a diner. Yep. And, ah, and, yeah. and the people that would come in, the, the regular customers that would come in knew what it is that we did. And, and we suffered those slings and arrows, but we'd also get pulled aside and we would have people that would tell us, Hey, listen, I don't want everybody else to know this, but I've had some experiences I want to share with you. So as people that were coming in, we're hearing about these stories. Did you ever get anybody else that had come over and said, Hey, we've, we've seen these things too, or we've had similar experiences? Oh God. Yeah. There were, there, even today, people are still talking. This this wasn't something that was isolated to us by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't normally talk about that. This was wit- witnessed by five towns. What happened in '69? Earlier, no. And I, and this is another reason that this is so. What I was telling you earlier is so important because the first '66 and '67, '68, people coming to the diner. No, at that point, we were like the. The only ones talking about it, but in '69, so many people saw this thing that they came in to the restaurant and they were saying they're sorry to my mother. They were, you know, we're, we apologize for not, you know, uh, you know, believing what happened or what have you. And, uh, and until then, there was a lot of push and shove, and and my mother used to refer to this table of four that used to come in and and they would because of farmland they would come in and like suspenders and horse manure on them and they would just clear the place out i mean you can't really enjoy an orange juice when when you got that sitting next to you right. so so that's how nasty it got there were people that would stand out in front of her door and not let people in but after 69 it all changed so anyway let me get back to what happened in 69 because this is like pinnacle sure so so after we got through the bridge and, and, and looked at this thing and watched it and we went we were going down this little bit of a dirt road um, very like 10 or 15 miles an hour. This thing was actually going faster than us. It was actually moving. I'm going to guess maybe 25 to 30 miles an hour if I was to put a speed on it. And I'd say it was probably as long as you know, uh, like two mobile homes. You know, it was pretty good size. This was not a small craft. It was a good size disc or vessel, whatever. It was big and it was about two and a half to three stories high. And it still had like a, a little bit of a sheen or glow to it. We couldn't really see it clearly once it got behind the trees because, it, again, it was a thin line of trees, but you could see the light behind it. And as you drove, it flickered, you know, so you didn't know if it was flickering or was the, because you were driving, it was, you know, whatever, but there was some flickered lights there. And then we got to uh, an opening in the tree line and it was, were actually like an old dried up brook was there because there were like these stones and everything, you know, rounded stones from water at one point. And we pulled off there. And we just looked at this thing, and it's and it all and it almost kind of stopped. Like, if I reflecting back and looking at this thing, we were looking. It was moving faster than us. By the when we got up there, it had already paused and just kind of was just sitting there. And we were like glued to the thing. And I mean, it had enough of a a sheen to it that it that it kind of covered it. I guess you could kind of make out what it looked like. It didn't 
look like an upside down Hershey's kiss, Hershey's kiss anymore. It was a, it was basically a disc again, that shape. And we were looking at it almost from a side, almost directly at a, from its side. I mean, we were further away, but we were at a, we were looking almost directly at it, not like up under it or what have you. And it couldn't have been more than 60 yards, 80 yards away from us. And all of a sudden it got really quiet. Um, you couldn't hear birds. You couldn't hear anything. It was just a still. And I call it like a vacuum of silence because it was just kind of like everything around you just got sucked out. It was just like you were almost in this like sterile, you know, almost a placid feeling and everything just went quiet. And then everything flipped again and, and it became like you heard crickets and, and frogs and cadians and everything just was like so alive and loud again. And then boom, it was like over. And I remember the next thing I recall, and I don't know if it was 10 minutes later, 20 minutes, I don't know. I remember being in what looked like a large airplane hangar. I've been saying this since I was nine years old. And I actually had slid off what looked like a, a chrome table or a silver table, like not very fancy, you know, very um, kind of industrial by design, if you will. And I remember walking towards a, a lighted doorway and I, I got to a certain point and somebody came up from like my left side and grabbed my arm. I didn't see who it was. I, at the time, I didn't even think anyone else was in the room with me. And the thing about this room, when you look at it, or, or what I remember from it, was that it was basically dark, but it was open at the same time. I could, had enough light that I could see that it was open. There was nothing really in there. And along the, where the ceiling met the, the wall, there were these long, thin, what looked like fluorescent tubes today. So it was like a, well, a single tube of space, a single tube of space. So for the longest time, this is why I don't use the word abduction, okay? Because I don't think where I was was a craft. I think where I was was in some underground facility. And the more I think about it, the more I, I believe that because it was much bigger than what we saw. I went out this, this doorway. I was taken out this doorway and was taken out a hallway. It was very narrow. Um, left and right, it's nothing fancy in this, in this particular 69 event. And when I got to the end, I took a left. So I took a, I went out this door, was, my, I was almost pushed by my left arm, out the door, down a hallway. It came to a T, wasn't very far that we didn't walk very far before it came to a T, took a left, and they brought me into this room. And when I got into the room, though, the wall that I was staring at bowed inward. Like glass, almost like a glass rounded, like a coffee can, like a huge rounded um, wall of glass. And on each side of it, there was like a pocket. And I believe they were exit doors because I actually ended up running out of the one out to the right. And that's where I saw what looked like an odd insect type of thing. I can't explain it. It it was it had a head of look about the size of a football. They looked like a large bug or ant or, or, or something that was engineered or what have you, but it was just, I can't explain it. I've never, no one, it's very different from what a lot of other people have seen. And I, and I know that, but that's what we saw. It looked, had like the legs of maybe like bamboo sticks, big fat bamboo sticks with like, uh, lime, uh, like almost like, um, not a purple, but like a, like an off wine color rings on its legs. And I know how crazy that sounds, but that's what we saw. And had a body of like like a teardrop, and and um, I I jumped off this piece of of 
where I was sitting, whatever it was, a, a table of some sort, and I ran out the right side of this glass wall. And when I got into this hallway, which is exactly what it was, it had to be, you know, as I was young, so everything seems bigger to me. I know that. Right. But when I got out there, it t- today, it would be like if you emptied out a Walmart and it was a huge round circle and there were hallways that connected into this big round circle. And there were some markings on the floor. The hallway to my left was as wide as a four-lane highway. And the two hallways to the right were like a two-lane highway. So it almost looked like if you took a circle and you placed a Y over it, where the bottom part of the Y was twice as big as the top arms or or pieces of that Y. And that's what it looked like. And I was taken right back into that room. I was thrown back on this table, basically. And this apparatus came over me, which almost looked like the top of a tanning bed, I guess, today. But it separated into two pieces, and it lowered from the ceiling while what I was on raised at the same time. It was very industrial where I was, too. And this piece that covered me was very um, simple, I guess. It almost looked like you had a, a cover, like let's say a tanning bed cover top, and underneath it there was a second second piece that was inserted in the top lid, and it separated as it lowered. And, and, and then the bottom part was maybe a foot over me and then the top part came and, and met with it. And that's what, that's last thing I really remember. Then I was back in this, this, uh, what I, I reference as a, um, like a airplane hanger and then back in the car. And then what was strange about being back in the car is that when my mother and grandmother were reversed, now I wasn't awake at this point. I, we all came out of this thing at separate times. My grandmother was now in a driver's seat when my mother was actually driving. So I say to myself, well, that seems like human error, Hmm. right? So this is why I'm very careful as not to overstate certain things and use verbiage that may imply that, yeah, I was, we were obviously removed from our car. So that was uh, an extraction, an abduction that was, we were taken or however you want to word it. But when you say abduction, suddenly people don't think that maybe there was some human interference or involvement in it so i don't use that term for that reason but when my grandmother now got well she was the first to awake and she no one else was responding my mother was out like a light my mother's in the next room actually she'll tell you herself she was out like a light my brother was in the back seat he was out like a light so was i so she drives down just a little bit down this dirt road whips the car around and goes back into town where she just left silk's store where she got the cigarettes that's where she went for help because it was a lot closer than where our house was and there was no one at her house to help she didn't know what was wrong with everybody and she was still very shaken by this whole thing herself and kind of in a fog so all she knows is everyone else in the car you're on a dirt dirt road something bizarre took place you saw something that you up front and personal and nobody else is responding so she went right to town for help that's what happened but you know that always gets turned around so she got back into town and she went right into Silk's store. She got out of the car. When the door slammed, we believe is why I woke up because I was the second one to come out of whatever took place. And so I followed her into Silk's store and I remember you know, yelling at her, Nana, Nana, because I was all messed up too. And it was almost like we came out of a out of a, uh, like a surgery. And my brother mentions that a lot. It was almost like a sodium pentothal type of thing where you come out and you're still kind of foggy but the doctor's still trying to talk to you and you're like not really able to totally comprehend everything because you're still coming out of this thing. 
And that's kind of what it was like. And my grandmother was not herself. She was very, uh, you know, not walking aimlessly, as I've said. And when she got into the store, she got tied up between some bikes and strollers. And and he came over to talk to her and the the the, the clerk and and um, they knew each other very well because their the store was right next to our restaurant. So he knew my grandmother wasn't something was wrong, and she tried to tell him what was going on. And I was grabbing her hand and. By the time we got outside, it, my brother, he, he was still crashed or out of it or however you want to word it. Or, but my mother had just come too. And so everyone came out of this thing at different times, maybe within six or seven minutes of each other. But Which it is did a, feel, it's a long, yeah. long period of time for that to happen. Yeah. And my brother was the youngest and the last one to come out of this thing. So if we were injected with something or given something um, – it would almost make sense why he was affected more than everyone else. I'm just saying that's we've thought about that. So, and, and they all had similar experiences uh, when they all went through something similar. Yeah, well, like when I I remember hearing my mother's voice um, wherever it was we were because I don't want to overstate anything. Um, and my mother was crying out for us. My grandmother remembers what happened. My brother, we all remember. So you were aware of where each other was, kind of almost spatially where you were. No, I don't know where my brother was. My brother doesn't know where I was, and I but, don't know where my my. But I do. But remember you were aware that, that they were there with you at that oh, I time. Remember only my mother's voice is the only one I remember hearing. And um, and I don't I don't want to fast forward the story uh, too much and, and cut short details. But we are going to be bringing on the judge here. Uh, Matt's yeah. going to get him on the phone for us. So if we can just fast forward just a little bit to when they. You know, make the decision to, to to create this UFO monument park. Well, this is that's the crazy thing about it. Now, but I want to just I got to mention this first. So that night, people called WSBS radio. This actually went out on on a FM AM FM radio station, and so the people at the time, Tom Tom J, he had a uh, he was a ham radio operator. So people were calling him on the ham radio. We didn't know it then. So the next day, we go to open up the restaurant and we're still thinking okay you know this is we're not going to mention this again right um people came in and we're saying uh, we saw this thing last night there were reports from jug n that got a ce classification from the air force and you know heinic classification and all that kind of thing and and all these people were like we we saw it you know finally there was some you know some closure in some way and then it came over the radio again so we had the radio going in the restaurant and all of a sudden, Tom Jay starts talking about this, all these police reports and people that had gone and actually walked to, gone into the radio station, knocked on the doors to give them their statements because they saw it so clearly and it was so close to the radio station. So at that point, that's kind of how this whole thing got inducted because it was our restaurant was shown to have altered the natural progression of the community because of all the friction. And then this reckoning in, in 1969 of sorts. And that's kind of how it got voted in. So there was medical records. There were police reports. There was the, the radio station that broadcast it. Uh, people today that still live there remember it. And it's right. not so an it, isolated. Yeah, it it right. became a fabric of the town, you know, no different than the Mothman sighting in Point Pleasant or you know, some of these mm -hmm. other experiences where it became part of the town's legend and lore. Right, but that's just it. It's not lore. And, right, and, right. And it it actually ended up. So what they did is when it went to a, a 
when the historical society contacted me, and this is another misconception, something that needs to be cleared up. I never contacted the historical society. I haven't been back in that town, and well, over the last couple of years, I have a couple of times because of what happened. But when I left in in the seventies, I hadn't been back, so I ended up um, getting an email from the historical society, and and this all was spawned by the fact that in nineteen ninety two, on October second, nineteen ninety two. Um, Robert Bletchman, who was a very good friend of my father's, who was a, an attorney also. Uh, my father was in office. My father was a politician for two terms. A lot of people don't know that either. And he actually got to meet Bletchman, who was the public relations director at the time for MUFON. And at the, they ended up putting together a, a United Nations Symposium on Extraterrestrial Intelligence and Human Future, and which referenced 33-426. So Bletchman wanted to use our case or our family's incident in 1969 specifically because of how our, our recollection was about how everything affected the, uh, the area, the environment, because he was actually going to speak on behalf of Cash and Landerman and just wanted to have a second little, hey, listen, you know, a lot of people out there see these things and are not just in lawn care or vehicle maintenance. You know, there are attorneys and lawyers and there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to this thing. It's not just, you know, you know, a small group of people who reference this type of thing. And so he wanted to use my father's credentials in support of Cash Landerman's case in Texas. And so we got a soft mention for a moment or two at the UN. But what also fueled the historical society's interest was that my father, and he was a great man, and I miss him dearly, lost his life at age of 52 on the exact same day. So so we started to talk more and more about it. People said to us, well, do you think he knew something? Do you think he was murdered? You know, the whole thing. And I don't want to get into that for tonight. But, sure. but when you really get down to it, you've got 365 days a year you could pass on the same day that of, of something this peculiar gets mentioned at the UN referencing your family. It's just there is something to it probably, but I don't want to overstate. But anyway, or, so – Or become targeted yeah. yourself for that matter. Um so, yeah. so, but yeah. now it, 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 it starts to move forward and, and, uh, and this park is, is proposed. Well, uh, it starts to move forward because my, of my father's loss of life and they wanted to try to preserve and not have, have his life be tainted by this past thing. So they want to look into it and, and say, okay, did, you know, did this really happen? I mean, because the, the, he had a legacy, local, a local legacy there. And so, but the more they looked into it, the more they found, the more proof they found, the more testimonial letters they found, the more police reports they found, the, the radio stations. So they voted on it. Yeah. They decided, well, we didn't expect it to find so much, you know, information about it. And so they've had it, went to a census and they voted it in. In February of 2015, it actually got inducted into state at, through the historical society as a historically significant and true event. And, um, and so this is where it gets messy. So the, the Great Barrington Historical Society and Debbie Oberman specifically, after they inducted this thing or our case or the you know, as a whole, uh, because it had proved to alter the natural progression of the community, was the big one that they they uh, voted on. And that's why I was told by Debbie Oberman that if Billy the Kid had just robbed a train, he would have been another kid with a gun. But because he altered the railroad, it became historically significant. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was the big, that was the, what really got it inducted. 
was that because it had altered the community so much because it was the only restaurant, so many fights, so many arguments, okay, all that stuff. So anyway, they thought that when they did this that they were going to get some very supportive press locally and they didn't. The press threw them under the bus and it was mostly because they kept saying that we voted this in as a community event because so many people saw it. We didn't say we inducted an alien abduction case. We said that we 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 inducted an event that included a UFO. But the press went crazy with it, turned it into a circus. They um, were caught with their tail between their legs. They felt embarrassed about it. So they went to this the Great Barrington Town Hall and tried to get a proclamation to um, someone to partner up with them, someone to say, okay, yeah, we support your decision, but no one would give it. So then they went to the town of Sheffield. Sheffield wouldn't you know, get on board with it because, first of all, Great Barrington inducted it, not the town of Sheffield where the park is now anyway. They were kind of removed from the decision anyway. So they, Great Barrington had no local support. They couldn't get a key to the city. They couldn't get a key to the town. They couldn't get a proclamation. They couldn't get anyone to support their decision to induct this. So what did they do? They went to the governor's office. So they, they had sent an email, contact the governor's office. And to say, look, you know, we inducted this thing. It also went to the State Historical Society, by the way, in Boston. But they, their answer to it was that, well, we don't have anyone who specializes in this topic. Therefore, we're not going to shoot it down. So you've got enough documentation to say this happened and you've made your decision. We're not, you know, we're on board with it, whatever. So then it went to the governor's office. They issued me a citation. I get an email uh, from a Jessica ask, you know, asking me to confirm my birth date, my spelling of my full name. Um, and then I, then in the email, it said that they had gotten, I guess, a, um, I guess a copy of Debbie Oberman's or the Great Barrington Historical Society's, uh, letter of induction. And not a lot of that wouldn't fit on the citation. So in the email that I received, it stated that it was going to be shortened and made more personal to me. So I'm like, okay. And in the email, it also had Debbie Oberman's um, name had her cell, had the number, phone number, and I had the email to the Great Barrington Historical Society. So I know from that that the Historical Society had already spoken to them because it was in the body of her letter to me. So with that said, I get the citation mailed to me about two weeks later, and then I get a second citation mailed to me. Now, what's going to be out in the Boston Globe in the next couple of days is how the governor got involved in all this. And so that's, I guess, what we can talk about in a little bit. But Judge Titus, who who is going to be on tonight, he's the one who actually sealed and notarized those the governor's citation and the letter from the induction letter from the historical society. Mm-hmm. But now there's a lot. Of, now there's a lot of backpedaling because of the marijuana, you know, uh, dispensaries coming into town. They want use of the park and all this kind of stuff. So we can get into that whenever you're ready. But Sure. Well, but, I, I think we have Judge Titus on the line with us. Uh, Judge Kevin Titus, are you with us? Good evening, everybody. Hello, Tom. Hey, how are you? Good to hear from you. All right. How are you? How are you? And... And Go it, ahead. You, you can hear us okay? I, we, we usually have a little bit of an issue when we have phone and Skype together, but you can hear us okay? Yes, I can hear you fine, Tim and oh, Tom. Okay, so Tom was just discussing, uh, you know, the the original citation from the historical society and and some of the issues that started to happen. How did you, Judge, come into this and and, and come to be involved with this? Well, um, to make a long story short, I'm um, my family and I uh, knew the Reed family back when we were kids. We were all from the same neck of the woods, 
And uh, what was really unique about the story is when I had finally realized there was a monument or what we call memorial put on the site of the UFO incident, um, I realized that the name of the person behind it was somebody that I had known. And being a historian, and I like to preserve history, uh, I decided um, so and and Go ahead. and when you got involved, uh, you know what what did that entail from from you? Did you come into this first as a historian or or first first from a legal perspective? Uh, first as a historian, and then of course in the, the legal perspective to uh, um, point out some things that um, very are very uh, very uh, at this point are very suspicious going on down there. And and what is that suspicion? What what is it that uh, that you feel is is happening? Well, we we all have come to the conclusion that number one, uh, the property is owned by a gentleman named Lou, which is private property. But the legal legalities are the fact that twenty years ago, Sheffield gave up the right of passage on that bridge, which means they can't service it or take care of it. And it's on Lewis's property, which means that it's his property, and he can basically put whatever type of wants there. And what has happened is they are playing this, what I call rigmarole, and looking at how they're playing it, it looks like that they're really trying to destroy it versus not really trying to, uh, how should I say, work with him on this thing. And And from your perspective and from the work that you've done on this, uh, what would be the reason for that? What what do you see as being their ulterior motive? Well, um, without saying who I know them personally, I'll have to say legalities, the maneuvering that they're doing um, is not something normal. If, If something like this were to come into my court, for instance, and I had the facts and the papers and I have and how it's become such a historical uh, interest and 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 realize that people keep conflicting and trying to say, well, one minute they want they they're for it, the next minute they change and do a 360, and they're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is it? So I've decided that they were trying to at some point knock the documents for Tom, which we have verified they are real. So there's there's this letter from the Historical Society. There's a proclamation from the governor, and now those have been sealed? No, not a proclamation. Uh, a citation. A citation, They, have been, they yeah. have been sealed and notarized by me as being effective. Now, you're not referring to sealed as being closed. No, no. I mean, sealed as in, like, they have your official stamp on them. You can see them on uh, the website, on Tom's website and uh, on ufomonumentpark.com. You can see they have your official seal on them. So that's – you you – you don't just stamp that on anything. You you make sure that that's something that is uh, worthy of putting your name to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you don't document anything that you don't uh, have the proof to back it because that's putting your 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 uh, you know respect out there, your name out front, and it wouldn't it would hurt you. But I've researched this incident, and I do know Reed family, and I do know what's going on over there. There's people involved with this, such as I'm sure you've heard of WSBS. Radio, they were the original ones that reported this uh, almost 50 years ago. So, I mean, I just look at this and I see this, uh, 
this backpedaling from the historical society. I see this, uh, all the stuff that's going on, this rigmarole, as you put it. And I start to wonder if there isn't some sort of influence coming from somewhere. If there isn't somebody somewhere with uh, far more power than the historical society saying, you know, this is not something that, that we want to have happen. Um, there is somebody who's, I don't, there, I can say their name, but I'm sure Tom has explained it to you. Um, I, I personally see from her act, I consider them very un. And I think, seems yeah, to good. think that the power that's invested her as what we, I think she's called the city manager, gives her the right to do whatever she wants and to bypass actual law. And even though it's Massachusetts that this is happening, I would have to say any magistrate in his right mind saw the facts and saw what was she doing, at the very least, to put her in contempt. Hmm. So, uh, Judge Titus, this is something that uh, you think that Tom has a, a clear legal challenge to say, you know, th this was going forward, this was something that was planned out, and to now try to throw the monkey wrench into it that they are is uh, is actually uh, – what, what would actually be the constitutional issue here? Well, I, I from what I've seen of the, of the, the bylaws, let's say, uh, I will have to say, number one, uh, Sheffield is in violation of, one, letting her even basically saying anything uh, or getting involved, two – uh, the laws were very, uh, very clear. Twenty years ago, shut off the right of way to that area, and they don't maintain it. So, if there's an emergency needed, the police or fire department can go across that bridge to help. Versa, Lewis can't get any um, action or help from his end. So, basically, that area is is his private property. It has also been stated on the document revealed that they have. Uh, recognize that that is his property and that they would have no further interference with it. See all this, you kind of figure, hey, what's going on here? Why? Right. This this is going beyond just uh, trying to to uh, do a 360 on the idea of a UFO monument park. This is something that is infringing on the rights of a, of a private citizen. Correct. And, and, and also, um, we have been trying to work on getting... I'm sure you've heard of the uh, National Historical Association, or better known as the National Park, and they have what's called a National uh, Place of Recognition or of Historical Value. Once they get their hands onto that, you can have a plaque put out there. That would pretty well protect them from messing with it on a federal So there, But it has to get to that point, and, and they're trying to, to keep it from getting to that point. Exactly. Right. I would have to say the most likely thing here to do is, first of all, Lewis himself it can now, if I were dictating the case, I would say to this gentleman, Lewis, this is your property. You have the right basically to tell Sheffield to stay the uh, heck off it. And if this so-called um, city manager... Rhonda Lombard. He doesn't want to say it. Her name's Rhonda. The monument, um, she could be subjected to possible criminal trespass or... I, I destruction of a private property. You know, it sounds pretty clear to me. 
Well, so what is the next step then uh, from from a legal perspective? Uh, you know, obviously the story is going to hit the Boston Globe in the coming days, and it's hitting the media. So there'll be some some pressure in that regard. But what what legal steps can Tom take next? Well, um, Tom has been discussing. I think he'd tell you more about it than I can. But I think I've uh, people have suggested that he should go proceed with Lewis with the legal. Uh, and the uh, city manager and whomever else may be involved in this this um, game, we'll call it. And uh, if I, and I also that if a formal letter were to come from somebody of a legal department, I would think that he could make it pretty clear in a way that you know, if I were you, I'd back off of this stuff in trouble. Uh, Tom, you still with us? I'm I'm afraid you might be getting abducted again. <laughs> Not a word I use. Um, yeah, I'm here. I can use it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, no, we were just hearing a little bit yeah. of uh, some weird feedback with the with the lines. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure I didn't lose you. Hey, can I jump in here real quick? Yes, because, absolutely. Uh, I, I know that uh, he's trying to uh, be tactful here and not mention names. The the, peop, the main players in this thing are, are correct. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Rhonda Lum, I guess it's Lombard, um, a woman by the name of Nadine, and then of course you've got. Um, uh, Debbie Oberman, and uh, those are the three people in the area, or four people actually. When you there's a couple others, but but uh, that are that are involved in this whole thing. And I think what's happening here, and I don't, don't think he wants to mention this, but the the park or the area that bridge that we went over um, is actually uh, like he said. Now it's private property. At one point, the the town had a right of passage. They were able to use and and, and do whatever they want with that land. Once this was uh, Given to basically uh, to us for the park, which is exactly where the incident took place, the farmer who actually owns 1,600 acres, it's the largest dairy wow. farm in the entire state of Massachusetts. So when they're, they don't really want to mess with Lewis because he's a multimillionaire, um, but at the, so they, they come to me. I don't live in town, so I'm easy pickings. Uh, the Great Barrington Historical Society, and this is something I want to real, mention real quick while Kevin's on the line. When they, when they contacted the governor's office and the plaque was issued to me, the first thing they wanted to do was get their plaque off the monument. So Great Barrington wanted their induction letter off the monument, and they wanted to put the governor's plaque on the monument. So now Great Barrington, after all the flack they got and everything, they said, hey, listen, we don't want anything more to do with it. You know, We came under fire. It was just, Maybe it was a bad idea, whatever. They're just, what, however they felt about it. But in the meantime, they started – Basically misleading people and telling people things that weren't true, that, you know, the whole bit. And now it, that left the monument with the governor's plaque. So anytime people came and took pictures of it, it was the governor's plaque on it now, not Great Barrington. So Great Barrington was no longer a third party beneficiary or benefactor to the park. Their name was no longer on it. And the reason for that was Sheffield never inducted this. Sheffield Historical Society is so backwards, they didn't even want to be involved in it. Great Barrington inducted it because we used to live there and the radio station that Kevin mentioned earlier, WSBS, broadcast it and we did end up moving there. So Great Barrington inducted it. The monuments in Sheffield, Sheffield has the problem with it. Great Barrington didn't want to be in a feud anymore, so they took their name off the monument. The citation goes on the monument. Now all the traffic is focused to Boston or to the governor's office and now that's where the problem is right now. Because now, why is the governor on it if Great Barrington's no longer supporting it? So that's what this mess. But in, and now, 
and now you've got a marijuana um, dispensary coming in, and they can't even police that part of property anymore because it's been deemed private. But if they can use their old right of passage law because they allowed foot traffic, now they can police the park. The governor, they take this plaque off the governor, uh, you know, the governor's plaque off the monument. Now all they got to worry about is removing the the benches and the sponsors, which is why Roswell's involved now. But Wait, that's the short of it. And we'll get into Roswell in a few moments. But, uh, but Judge Titus, from your perspective, I mean, having uh, the whatever is on there, wouldn't having the governor and and Governor Charlie Baker's uh, words and signature on the monument hold more weight than the town? Wouldn't that be something that would actually be more beneficial? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's like it's like they're saying, Governor, hey, you know what? We don't care what you say. This is what we want. And I would tend to say I would have to believe the governor would have a lot more say than they would. Right. That's what, that's what I would think. So, Tom, why would that be a, a, a negative to to have it pinned on the governor uh, for you know keeping their name off of it? Well, it's not really a negative to the governor. It's just that Great Barrington didn't want to feud anymore with Sheffield because Sheffield has alternative motives and, and they got ideas for that land. And by the, the town of Great Barrington inducting something and, put, and having a monument in the, in the neighboring town created a problem between Great Barrington and Sheffield. So by removing their name from it, now they're not in a. Now they can step back and say, "Okay, Sheffield, you know, we're no longer, you know, infringing on your property or your town or, you know." So. They didn't want to be connected to the monument or the park. That's why they pulled off of that. And then with the governor's citation on it now, sure, I agree with Kevin. That's that's a, a much that's a step up in my opinion because there's no way that a governor is going to issue a citation unless they verified everything with the historical society anyway. You don't just go up to a governor and say, okay, well, you know, I want to be inducted into history and I want you to give me a. I haven't been in, in Massachusetts in 50 years and and. Uh, but I'd like you to, you know, use my name and, and and reference your own historical society and induct me into United States history. That doesn't happen. I mean, it obviously, it was driven by the historical society anyway. Right. So by removing their name from it, kind of gets them gets their name off the monument, but it doesn't get their involvement off the monument because there's no way that the next level is going to support something if the foundation wasn't proven or backed or supported in the first place. So the issue then is that it creates a, a, a hole in, in the narrative and it creates a, you know, it, it gives it less validity if the town isn't behind it. Is that the concern? Yeah, probably that's part of it. Yeah, and, and they're backpedaling. They're, uh, you know, I, I think they really did, and I, your listeners out there, I think there was an alternative motive from Debbie Oberman in the very beginning to, to maybe, uh, you know, get some uh, attention to the historical society because she did say to me once, you know, they're not flocking to the historical society to see the latest musket ball. Right. So, you know, um, but then again, it, and Kevin will tell you. Actually, I don't know if I can t- say this, Kevin. I want you, if, if it's okay with you, but you you saw something when you were younger too, correct? I mean, a lot of people in the area saw something. Is he on still? Well, I mean, in the summer of 1969, there was a lot of things that occurred in this area, and. Several of the children and myself saw something very similar that summer of 1960. But the main thing is it was reported by 240 different people. They called the military over the border over in Great Barrington. They called the military personnel and everybody stayed in. This was odd to me because they had said that um, the uh, military um, 
nothing on the radar like an airplane or helicopter that my grandparents were there. They saw something. It was, and they couldn't explain it. So there's something happened around here at the same time of 1969. Well, I think a lot of people are listening and and they're saying, you know, whether it's uh, the historical society's name that's on the monument, whether it's the governor's name, the fact is the monument's there and they're recognizing this. And even if it gets moved around or what have you, uh, the fact is that it's still being recognized. But what my what doesn't sit right with me isn't the what it's not what is happening. It's why right. is it happening? And right. who is behind, who, who is the one pushing the buttons to maneuver these things, and what is their goal in doing this? That's, that's what concerns me. I my, can't say, but my gut feeling is it has something to do with this um, city manager or city administrator um, who I've heard that she thinks she's going to eventually take over as what, like a selectman or mayor, and then if she gets to that point, coming up, I thought it was this month, that she was Seven. going to take it upon herself, from I heard, go on the property and have that monument removed, basically doing it illegally. she does that, then my opinion would be, as a judge, I would find her contempt, and more than likely, she'd be arrested. So just from a legal perspective, there's, there's things going on that uh, are, are concerning, uh, not even... Looking at the big picture, just the minutia of it is uh, is of concern. Well, you have you have an awful lot of people in this small town that are used to doing whatever they want and controlling, uh, you know, the flow of whatever. I mean, this Sheffield is not a town that's has a lot of suppressed people living there. Right. Sheffield is a lot of wealthy landowners, so you have um, an awful lot of money in Sheffield too. And to give you an idea, this position at Rhonda, who I can mention her. Um, I think this job that she's getting uh, running the town, I mean, it's like $140,000 a year. So to her, that's a lot of money in the town of Sheffield. And so they're used to saying, if I want to do this, I'm going to do it. If I want to do that, we're going to do it. Well, when you've got backers and sponsors and, and people that are uh, beneficiaries to a park now that you – and here's the other thing too. Sheffield issued the park. Everybody in the papers, you'll see, and Kevin will come back to me up on this. I never touched the monument. I never built the monument. The first time I saw it was when it was unveiled on national television in front with ABC News New York. I never saw it before that day. That, that's when uh, New England Legends filmed. I had never seen it before that. I didn't even know I was going to get one. And and so when this was unveiled, uh, Sheffield actually moved it and put it into place. If you read the papers, they're like, well, Tom Reed did it. I didn't do it. What do I got to I drive around forklifts and cornfields? Come on. So I, I, I wouldn't even know how to go about it. So when this when this happened, Sheffield was behind it from the very – Sheffield placed the monument. Sheffield was actually more on board than we really thought they would be, and and so everything was fine. They walked off the spot. They put an X in this area right near the bridge. They had a guy with the name of um, Eddie Ward actually, who worked for the town of Sheffield, actually had a forklift and moved the monument and placed it there. Now they're trying to say, oh, well, hey, it's still on our right-of-way. It's got to be moved again. You guys put it there. You've had this land for 2,000 years. It was given to you in the 1800s. You don't know where your property line is. You placed it there. You issued the park. And now you come back and say, oh, well, we got to move everything. So the question is valid. What is the why, the why 
why is so why is there so much pressure on the Great Barrington Historical Society to back right. off? Why is there so much pressure coming from Sheffield to get rid of it? What is going on here? I don't get it. Who is in whose ear? Right. Yes, someone powerful is driving this thing, and this Rhonda Lombard is the key person that is pushing right now because she's in line for a big promotion. If she gets that promotion, I, what I think is happening – Somebody's given somebody's given Rhonda a bump up saying, look, you work with us with this monument thing and we'll get you the job and you'll be over the entire town of Sheffield. Right. And there's a rumor that if she gets the job, she's firing everybody on the first floor of the town hall. But that's that's I understand then what her motivation is. It's the bigger why. It's why that person is saying to them, saying to her, saying to Rhonda that we want this to go away. That's right. that's I, where I'm. I have a concern. Well, I think I, I think it's the money coming from the marijuana dispensary, but I can't. Obviously, that you know, I'm, I I don't know that. But I mean, that's at I least a little less clandestine than I'm thinking. So, <laughs> what are you thinking? Tell well, me. Well, I'm I'm just wondering if somebody just wants to have this story suppressed to begin with, and they don't want to have it. You know, the fact that it became official is a problem somewhere. The fact oh, that yeah. it became recognized is something that somebody doesn't want to have out there, and and uh, and I know that you know being involved in it, and of course Judge Titus, uh, you know being in his position, it's not something that you can speculate on. But me being in this chair, I can certainly speculate on it. Um, I do want to thank the judge for joining us. Uh, we're, we'll let you go because I know that it's uh, it's late for you, and I, and I thank you for staying up and joining us and, and sharing some insight. Oh, you're very welcome, Tim and uh, Tom. Uh, take care of everything, okay? Thank you. I'll, I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks for thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you both. Good night. Bye. Bye. And uh, that is Judge Kevin Titus. Uh, again, we thank him for joining us. Matt's going to go and grab uh, our next guest, uh, who's going to be joining us uh, as well. But uh, I, I, I'm just glad that the judge could join us and, and share his insight. And again, Tom, this is a story where you have a judge involved in backing what happened. You have. The governor involved in backing what happened. You have, and as I said at the top of the show, I don't know if you got a chance to hear it, but you know, there's there's two things that you need to legitimize these stories to people, and that's belief and acceptance. And it seems like this story had both uh, right up until recently. Yeah, my father too was a was a politician and an attorney, and and you had an attorney mention it at the United Nations, and you've got witnesses and radio stations that broadcast it, and I. And, and to me, this is – I don't think that we or anybody involved in this has put this much time and effort into researching this and getting it to the point that it is for somebody who's just got a problem with it to do away with it all. There's too many people involved in this now. I mean you know, Travis Walton backs my park. He's got a bench there. Uh, Brent Hansen, Factor Faked, you know, remember him. He's got a bench there. The Roswell Museum sponsors a bench. We've got solar lights that are sponsored – by a millionaire in Louisiana who actually used to uh, give uh, a film crew from Ancient Aliens the use of his drones when they filmed the pyramids. I mean he's, he sponsors the lights, the solar lights. You, then you've got the uh, people who paid for the monument. People don't even realize that that monument was paid for by donations from witnesses of that night. ABC News did a great story on that. That monument was paid for by the townspeople. And then you've got the landowner who offered his land to turn it into a park. These are all people that are getting slapped in the face because of Debbie Oberman, Rhonda Lombard, and Nadine from the town of Sheffield. This is absurd. 
Well, I, I have a, we have another guest on the line that can provide some, some more insight. Another verifying party, another uh, organization that would not get involved with this unless they felt like it was worthy of putting their name on there and their reputation, especially because of the nature of their work. They can't just randomly endorse any UFO case. So we have joining us on the line uh, Beth Weigand. Of the, she's the spokesperson for the Roswell UFO Museum. Uh, Beth, are you with us? I am. Did I say your name right? Is it, is it Weigand? It's actually Wigan, but Wigan. it doesn't really matter. Okay. I'm, I'm just, I see W-E-I, and I pronounce it like my own name, Weisberg. So, um, so. <laughs> It'll work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Beth, if I can, if I can uh, expose uh, a little bit of your location, obviously working with the Roswell UFO Museum, for some of our uh, first-timers in the chat room tonight, some of our guests, it's, it's almost midnight here, at least, and you're actually in the desert. So... I am. <laughs> nice little uh, connection there to uh, to our our late friend Art Bell. Uh, but uh, Beth, how did you at the museum? How did you hear about Tom's case, and and how did you get involved with it? Um. Well, we've always been uh, we've always been uh, proud of our solid relationship with Tom Reed and his family, creating uh, the lovely park as a gift to the people of Sheffield as a gesture of friendship. And so it's so an upscale and just as unique as the incident itself. And we were instantly involved when we, um, when we came on board by sponsoring uh, a bench for the park. But before that, we were, we were always on board with Tom. He was always part of our family, always part of our art our landscape, and we were just um, so remarkably involved when when Paul, uh, when um, when Tom and um, and his family uh, decided to create the park. Uh, we always thought it was a, a, a remarkable, a remarkable um, uh, adventure. Uh, we were just amazed at the at the scope and the focus of that. They so, got a lot of attention. Yeah, it sure did. So, with with creating the park and and with the vision that was there for the UFO Monument Park, aside from all that, I mean, do you, as the the Roswell Museum, do you look and say, um, obviously, you know, you know Tom and you have a, a relationship with him, but from from the museum and and working with him in his case, but is there a verification process to to put your name with what it is that's that uh, his family claims happened? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a remarkable case. It's internationally remarkable. Um, the uh, the um, the incident itself and um, the display that we have in our museum. Uh, so many people come into our museum asking to see uh, not only the display. But I mean, all the uh, all the information backing it up. Uh, so many uh, people come into our museum uh, asking to see not only the display, but um, but the back history to it. And the letters. It's actually, yeah, it's it's actually a re- a remarkable incident. And it and it must be uh, especially great to be able to work with a case that is getting 
official recognition from from local government, from state government to have those type of uh, val- uh, verifications and validity added to the story to have uh, just the fact that it adds another layer to this experience, the experiences of this family. It, it must help the museum because this is something that you can say, hey, look, there's actual government documentation, government acceptance of what happened, and this is something that we can work toward and strive toward with other UFO experiences as well. I think that's actually what draws people uh, to the museum because we are the one focused source of that information. Uh, You have to um, you have to appreciate the scope of it the international scope of it, this is the only incident that has been in, in, inducted into the um, United States. I mean, really inducted the into the annals of history. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But a lot of people, they come in and they don't appreciate that scope until they actually see the exhibit and they start asking questions about it. And that's pretty much what we do at our museum when they come in and start asking questions. And one question leads to another question, and then they actually get it. And it's actually phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I guess I I get what you're saying. It's it's. There's so many cases out there. Correct me if I'm wrong, Beth, but there's so many cases out there that it does get kind of lost. I mean, you don't really realize the significance of it, so you kind of have to bring people to the letters. They have to see the the signatures. They got to see the letters from the governor because if you I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you tell people, "Oh, our case is inducted in the United States," they just would shove. You know, they, they wouldn't believe it, right? They'd probably just walk away. So you got to show them the letters. You got to show them all this stuff because it, it is a Remarkable case. I think every case has something unique, and, and it's very important. You know, from Betty and Barney Hill to Travis Walton to the you know the Roswell case to the you know the L.A. I mean, you've got all these cases that have something very rare and unique to them that are all part of a bigger picture. But ours may not be the most fascinating you know incident, but it did get inducted. And I guess that's what you're saying, right? You just it for that reason alone, it does add another layer. That, like Tim said, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. and you might get and the. That's what, sorry, that's Beth. That's what puts it on the map, if you will. That's and that's why, if they move the park, the Thomas Reed um, incident and all of that, that puts it on the map. That makes it internationally unique. It's unique. Internationally, unique. And you're going to have people that come to the Roswell UFO Museum that are dragged there by a significant other or, you know, bringing their kid or whatever. There's going to be people that come to that museum that will walk to the front door and say, hey, listen, I don't believe in any of this stuff. You know, I think it's all a bunch of hooey and I'm only here because this person wanted to come here and I'm, I'm just here to be with them. And, and then they probably wander over to the exhibit on, on Tom's case and they, they see those letters and they see those seals and they see those signatures and they say, well, well, wait a minute. Now there's something to this and that might be 
the one thing that opens their eyes to everything else that's in the museum suddenly becoming more valid. Well put, Exactly. Tim. Exactly. It, uh, it, it kind of brings a focus onto all of it. Um, it, it kind of, I don't know, I don't know the, the, the right words to it, but when people come in, they have the information on their devices in their hands, and they say, I want to see this, and they want to see the Tom Reed incident because it's so focused, it's so vetted. It's, it's also so, current, too, right? So it's current. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But they want that. They want the focus. They want, um, I want to say the truth. They want it because mm-hmm. that incident in all of its entirety represents the truth. So now then, Beth, and, if, if, huh. if, that's, if that's the gravitas that this case has, for not just the Roswell UFO Museum, but for all of ufology and, and, and being a benchmark case that the true believers can hang their hat on, how disheartening is it then to see what's been going on with the town and with the historical society and with this backtracking uh, toward the UFO Monument Park? That's really heartbreaking to me because um, when... When Tom contacted us and said that they wanted to dedicate the um, the actually incident the incident itself, okay, and he wanted to create the park where it actually happened. He wanted to make a park out of it. He wanted um, he wanted to to create this lovely park as a gift. To the people of Sheffield as a gesture of friendship. And it is so upscale and just as unique as the incident itself. And we were so instantly involved. And, and, and we came on board sponsoring a bench for the park. And it, it just seemed like the focus was such an amazing future. And we were thinking that how could it not open so many doors, bringing, uh, bringing in a coming generation on board. If, if I can, that 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 generation is so focused on what, uh, so focused on our focus. That you're talking uh, about. We you're talking so about millennials, right? So, so exactly, exactly. So they have their phones and they're focused on a certain topic and they want answers because and they go to the okay I got it okay you're kind of hard to hear it's like breaking up a lot yeah well if if I can Um, if I can interject for a second Beth I think the idea of having this park normalizes the experience I think people being able to sit on a bench and reflect and read about the story and know the story learn the story and say wait a minute this unbelievable thing happened in such a beautiful kind of normal-looking place, then that's going to open their mind up to the possibility of these experiences for themselves, open their minds up to believing the experiences of others, and maybe throw UFOs aside, throw Tom's experiences and his family's experiences aside, maybe it makes them think a little bit beyond their normal mental borders. 
doesn't matter that it's a UFO experience that, that is making them do that, but all of a sudden their worldview has shifted just enough that they can look at things through a different perspective, all from just a, some benches and, and a monument remembering this experience. Right. Exactly. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't have printed it better. I could have printed it better <laughs> myself. But it, yeah. It's so heartbreaking that um, a, a small minority that has put the, um, the burden of discrimination and bigotry and intolerance to it it's heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking. I really, I don't know. There's definitely a prejudice why. there. There's definitely some prejudice. And like Tim said earlier, we've got to find out where it's coming from. But at the same time, if I can jump in here for a second, um, Beth and I and uh, Kevin and WSBS Radio and many other people, when we spoke to the uh, Boston Globe, um, I don't want to overstate uh, something on behalf of the Roswell Museum, but, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, didn't we uh, – well, at least I threaten. I threaten to sue them, but I think you also threatened to or put them on notice, or what were the words? I mean, the Roswell Museum really stepped up and and uh, and and put Absolutely. the of God into Absolutely. them. Yeah. Absolutely, this is wrong. This is so what, wrong. Do you, do you remember it, the, it's not the only quote? Our sponsorship to the bench uh, or the the park. park itself, but we were so on board with. Um, this is wrong. I mean, we're 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 so totally settled up on this. This this is wrong. Do you remember what you the, told um, the what, what the message was or the uh, the what what did you actually was it we're putting the town of Sheffield on notice or was it that we're not going to stand for it? Do you remember what what you no, said? We're not because I stand for it. How can we stand for it? This is yeah. discrimination. This is well, what bias. did you? What was your what was your quote? This is amazing, amazing. It, this is, you know, to to quote you know, like like a weird word. This is gross. This is, it is. It's gross. This is well. Uh, what what if I may? What what was the quote you gave the the uh, the paper? The do you remember what the quote was you gave to the Boston Globe? No, of course not. That was I you don't that. know what it was. <laughs> of course you don't know. Well, do you do you remember Tom? <laughs> Can you refresh your memory? Um, well, I. The thing is, the Globe doesn't actually tell me what people say. They say, um, well, I, I get called right. a lot by him, but he said, uh, you know, uh, I spoke to Beth today, and they put the, the town of Sheffield on notice. But I don't know if that was her quote or that was him saying they put them on notice in some way. So, but um, I do put them on notice. This is wrong. Is, is that what you said? Wrong. Okay. All right. All right, well, that's great yeah, because I threatened to sue them, and, and uh, I'm going to. Actually, I've actually threatened uh, – I'm not threatening. Should, I actually spoke – Yeah. I'm sorry? Yeah. You should you, you, put them on notice. Oh, she said you we should. You should, should sue them. them on notice. It's, it's, oh, it's yeah. Wrong. Well, I've got, a, I've got uh, actually an attorney and uh, Heather, um, Heather Sutton. She used to work for Miami Models when I owned Miami Models in Florida. She doesn't live in Florida anymore. And um, I'm working with a, a paralegal, and um, – we are filing suit on uh, Terry Cowgill, a, a journalist for the Berkshire Edge, and he used to work for the Berkshire Record. We're actually going to file suit against him personally for defamation of character, uh, libel, and uh, defamement. And then we're filing a you suit. Know, I would, if that if that guy's a journalist, you know, I'm that yeah. guy is not a journalist. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's pretty. He's that pretty. Guy, he's pretty. Yeah. He's pretty harsh. Well, I'm going to recuse myself because uh, I uh, I. I, I can't 
knock another journalist. It's it's. But uh, yeah. well, I'll no, let okay, I'll let you guys do fine, it though. But yeah, <laughs> you should see what he I've wrote. It's a, ridiculous. I consider myself a journalist since I was 15 years old, and if that's a journalist, yeah, I'm sorry, but that's yeah. not a journalist. That's he actually that's he gross. really Beth's right. You know, he actually came at us personally because he's again, you know, this was a small town and he used to know our family, so he's turned this into a very personal uh, attack on us, and he's also working with Rhonda Lombard, who's actually um, going to be that elected official. So this is it. You've got like this tiny little coup, and he's the voice. Rhonda's the one pulling the shot, you know, driving this whole thing. And then, of course, the two of them are knocking the historical society, so they're backing off. So it's all being driven, and a lot of it's being driven by this guy. So, um, yeah, anyway. I do want to jump in for a second. Uh, The the chat room has come alive with people asking about uh, how they can – donate and, and purchase a brick and, and help uh and help with this. That'd be fantastic. I what I would I, I could give That'd an email awesome. out. Yeah, there you go. Um you got great listeners. Um oh, we do. I I would say uh you know there's uh the the U, the the website itself, uh the UFO Monument Park dot com has has information or emails associated to it or they could email me directly at Miami Models at Gmail dot com. Again it's Miami Models at Gmail dot com. And um you know, I, I would love to uh, get their, their support. I mean, that's what we need. You know, there's power in numbers. And and we've got a lot of people supporting this park. But, you know, uh, here's another thing that happens. You know, the, the park has gotten bigger than the town, right? So the town's got this bridge and the town's got their little stores and stuff. But people don't go to the stores and stuff. They go to the park. Right. And um, one of the things that came up, too, just how stupid this is, they were complaining because there's no garbage can in there. Okay, the, remember that Beth? You guys were going to donate. A, was it you guys are going to donate a garbage can or something? There's no garbage can in the park, and so every now and then they got to go in and pick up a paper or two. And so their argument is, well, it's not our land; it's private property. Let the let the uh, you know the landowner pick it up. But when when they want to move a monument, suddenly it's their property. So um, yeah, they complain. It, it's ridiculous. But yeah, we um, I, I well, you know what would really be nice is to maybe. Someone don't anybody who donates to that park is going to have her name on any whatever it is they want. If they if we're going to be putting in, it's not going away. That park is not leaving. We're going to put in picnic tables. There's people. Well, I, I did a movie with um, I was in a film with uh, D Wallace from ET, and so I've got you know messages into her. If she comes on board, there's probably going to be a picnic table there. Um, I, I met, I talked to William Shatner. Well, you can't, uh, you have to give her a table because you couldn't give her a rock because she's no longer D. Wallace Stone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> ah, but, uh, I have so to get uh, at least one yeah. lame joke in per show. Yeah. And that's my yeah. quota for this week. So, so anyway, if anyone really wants to help, um, I, I would say, um, you know, go there, get a picture there, whatever you can do. Um, uh, you know, anything they want to donate, um, uh, whether it's uh, we're looking for a new sign, we are looking for a new sign for the park. Um, so if there's a few people that want to contribute to a new sign, then their name would be on it, and it would just say, you know, UFO Monument Park. So the donations aren't are going to a particular piece, I should say. And anyone who wants to be part, take part in that piece, um, you know, that's that's how that that'll unfold. So right now we've got the two benches. Um, I'd love to get another bench, but um, they are actually very expensive. Those benches are 800 bucks a piece. Wow. Whereas a sign might be, what, a couple hundred dollars. So if three or four people pitch in $20 a piece, uh, you know, they can, yeah. we can at least get it started, you know, that kind of thing. So, 
Um, is she still laughing? I think yeah. she is. <laughs> that was my most Beth. I love you. That was my most successful joke of all time. Yeah. She'll get once she gets to know me, then she'll be like, "Oh yeah, he's not that funny." Yeah. So anyway, that's that's. Tell your your listeners, I really appreciate I, the the gesture, the help. Absolutely, yeah. and uh, and uh, Beth, I think the uh, the air might be getting a little thin out there for you. Uh, yeah, you okay? On <laughs> just checking in on you. Your Beth. <laughs> I'm gonna milk this. Sorry, Dub. I'm gonna milk this for all It's the best laugh yeah, I've ever gotten. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'll 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 shut up. Go ahead. Well, uh, Beth, I, I... <laughs> no, really. I think everybody should should sponsor a band in Tom's Park, and it'll be um it'll be called Tom's Bench Park. There's gonna be Gosh, like a thousand benches in that park. Yeah. I think so. I mean, uh, the, the way this audience is responding tonight, and uh, of course, then once this goes out to podcast, and the video will be up on YouTube, and then the story is going to hit the newspapers. I, I think there's going to be a huge groundswell here. You know what, guys? You know what? Saddle up, because this is wrong. And what 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 you actually need is people to look at it and focus on it and see the wrong, and they need to saddle up. We need to do this. We need to do this. This is wrong. This is all. Well, we're not going to have. A, we're not wrong. going to have a second chance. You know, we're not going to have a second chance at this thing. If they, if the town does decide that whether or not they want to, they're going to take this legally either either way. So, um, what I'm saying is, if they decide to go, okay, we're, you know, we're going to move this stuff out of here, and we're going to worry about how we're going to let the chips fall where they will in court. Because again, you're talking. It's not going to yeah, happen. No, it's not going to happen. I got a vision, and you know what? Mm-hmm. We're all going to settle up. This isn't going to happen. They're not okay. going to take your part, Dave. They're not going to do it. It's going to happen. We are. They are not going to take your part. Yeah, right. that would be a shame they're, because they're I don't sell a do book. They're not going to do I, it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't. I don't sell a book. I've never made a cent. Really, I don't. I've never been involved in this for any, um, you know, monetary gain. You know, um, I we we used our family's reputation. My father being a politician and a, and a selectman, and and you know, I had some contacts because I had a modeling agency. So we we did have some friends, and you know that um, I used to do runway for the Hard Rock Casino. I used to organize runway shows for Ocean Drive, and and, um, and so we we did meet some influential people that did actually get us on the news and helped us, you know, get a voice. I mean, we did have some help there. I'm not going to deny that. Um, and I'm thank God we did because we were able to use our our contacts and those people who have been so, so supportive to us over the years to get this into mainstream and and have it sit where it does where a lot of other cases really don't and and it did it did expand the 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 uh, like you said Tim the reality of all this and and now that we're in mainstream and we are more in mainstream than we are with the UFO community when you really think about it because mm-hmm. it's mainstream is where we're we're in all the time we're always in the mainstream papers the Chicago Tribune LA Times whatever it is more so than we are at open minds right they don't write about it that much so we are more mainstream than we are in in the community in some respects but but we are at a different we have a different angle to this thing you know because we're not selling books we're not you know I'm not doing a whole lot of conferences. I, I focus on his, the, the historical societies. I hope focus on the museums. I mean, we're getting inducted into the a museum in New York 
Um, May May 19th, the case is being added to uh, a Pine Bush Museum. A museum in Pine Bush is opening up. I couldn't be prouder of you for that. Thank you. Appreciate it. And actually, Beth is going to Skype in, I think, right, Beth? We'll make it earlier in the day, oh, though. It's amazing. So, amazing. So. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't wait to be a part of that. That is such a skyrocket for you. That is yeah. such a skyrocket. It'll I be the second museum. So, so there you are. Yeah. That. I mean, that's so amazing. I couldn't be prouder Thanks. of you. All right. And, uh, and Beth, Beth, before we let you go, uh, why don't you just let everybody know real quick how they can find out more about the Roswell UFO Museum? You can put this up on the website. Um, we have an amazing website. It's been recently uh, redesigned. We have um, all the information about our upcoming festival, July 6th, 7th, and 8th. And, of course, Tom is um, is on board with that. And, well, he's part of our landscape, of course. But we have so many authors and so many, um, uh, so many researchers available. It's amazing. It's an amazing experience. And I want to encourage people to um, to come and see us, uh, to come and see what uh, what we have uh, available. For What's the website our, um, address for our, uh, our 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 festival? It's yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to be. What's cool. the Beth? What's fact, the website it's, address? It's, it's, it's ongoing. It's, Can you hear me? I I don't know if there's uh, some some cross feed there, but it's it's RoswellUFOMuseum.com, yeah. right? Right. Exactly. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Beth, for for joining us, and uh, it was great talking with oh, you. And pleasure. if Always I ever if I ever need time. if I ever need anybody out in the desert to to do some favors for me, and I might just coming up. How far are you from Pahrump? <laughs> I will. Uh, I will. Uh, I'll give you a call. Keep in mind, uh, keep in mind, my friend, that we are out in the middle of, of the uh, desert. <laughs> that's that's perfect. Yeah. And now uh, we'll we'll talk to you coming up uh, on the Roswell anniversary too, as well, if if, if that's cool with you. Awesome. Anytime. Anytime. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure. Have a good night. A a pleasure, of course. You too. Bye for now. And she's going to be my favorite for all time now for laughing (laughs) at my jokes so much. (laughs) That was crazy. And and so you said that you're going to be in this museum in New York. And and as this this, uh, attention is being paid, Tom... Yeah. Do you think it's going to have an effect on the town? Is it going to have an effect on these people that have been working against you? Do you think that this groundswell will affect what they're doing in any way? Yeah, I don't think they're going to – they're not winning over any popularity contest. I mean you're, they're insulting their own backyard and and for whatever – I don't – again, we've been down this road. I have no idea what the problem is. I don't know why they're really uh, – Going after this the way they are, but I, I be honest with you, like Beth said, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think that they're going to get get come. Uh, there's going to be a, bad, a lot of backlash, uh, the, you know. Like even like your listeners, you know, that were like, "How can we help?" You know what? Just you, you know, it, it, all they got to really do is just start calling the historical society in Great Barrington and saying, "Look, don't do away with the park." You know, what are you guys doing? Or even the town hall in Sheffield, but. If, if you – like when I speak to the, the town hall, because I have to call there once in a while. I stay in touch with Chief Eric Munson, who's the chief of police there, um, because the monument has been vandalized a couple times. So we've kind of got an open line of communication, and I can call the chief and go, you know, is everything okay over there? What's going on? And um, and he'll he'll tell me that, uh, you know, you need to call over to so-and-so in, in the 
at the town hall and, and, and check in with this person or that person. And, and I do. And they, they they seem to all be supportive of it. They're, you know, they, they talk to me nicely. Hey, Tom, it's nice to hear from you. You know, thanks for staying in touch. But then you get upstairs to the Rondas and the Nadines and it's a totally different voice. It's a totally different attitude. So it seems to me that there's just like a new sheriff in town and, uh, and she's making this part of her campaign promise to do away with the park and uh, bring in the marijuana dispensary. And if they can gain you know, access or legal access to that side of the park, now they can police it. And, you know, somebody else told me, too, this is this is came from the town hall. Now, this came from somebody who's works at the town hall that they just want to get my name off the park. So like right now, they're saying that, well. Since they are going to have a marijuana dispensary in there, they are going to have more people coming through town. So now if they decide they want to do some marketing or try to do something to promote the UFO park, by getting my name off of it, they can call it the Sheffield UFO Monument Park. And then they can sell their shirts in the town and they can have their Sheffield UFO Monument hamburgers and all this kind of stuff. But as long as my name's associated to it, they can't touch it. I, you know, Just like I couldn't you know, um, you know, sell shirts saying spooky South Coast, right? I mean, I, I wouldn't be able, but I could, if I changed the name, then I could call it anything I wanted to. So there has got to be, there's, there's definitely money in some angle that the town is looking at. I don't charge anything. The park's free. The mm-hmm. park's open 24 hours a day. Right, I've never sold a book in my life. But when, I think I need to write one to preserve it now. <laughs> well, you definitely, you definitely should with your experiences. Absolutely, especially not only your experiences with what you saw and what you what you went through, but also the experiences of the aftermath, and and using this as a as a as a case study as an example to show people how much we still have to go to get the acceptance that we need. That even when we have something that's on that track of getting that acceptance, uh, it can be so quickly derailed. Uh, but the you know, as soon as the town realizes that they can, uh, and I'm sure you've mentioned it to them, but when they see Roswell, when they see Point Pleasant, when they see some of these other towns where Exeter, yeah, Ex- Exeter yeah. is a great example, and when they see these examples of how these towns have turned this into tourism money and turned it into attention and turned it into notoriety, and with it tax revenue and tax benefit, then. I think they'll start to get on board. I, we see this all the time when we try to get into uh, haunted places to try to put on, or allegedly haunted places, historical places, to try to put on events. We're doing these events to benefit them and help them raise money because they're not getting the tourism dollars, but it takes them a long time sometimes to see what it is that we're doing and the value in it. To get on board with you, yeah. Yeah. Well, this 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 is uh, an interesting – this is going to be – this is going to play out – This whatever's going to happen is going to happen quickly. I do believe that because Rhonda, if she gets elected, she's getting elected on the 7th. So that is actually um, – I guess that goes to a vote on the 7th or 8th. So I guess Monday. I think the town hall votes on Monday. So um, – I mean and to, yeah, be, to, to be fair, we, you know, we always uh, like to present the different sides of the story. We'll invite them to come on and, and share their side if they want to, but I, I just got a feeling they're not going to want to comment on it. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't that – yeah. Actually, WSBS actually called uh, the – the town hall and asked Rhonda if she wanted to go on and she never even got back to him either. So, but here's, here's the thing, right? This is what's what, why we went outside to larger papers too. 
the the local little the local you know the big fish in a small pond thing you know we we got control of this small nobody's going to come in and tell us what to do or turn our t- town inside out uh, you know what they 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 had a local that local journalist they uh, said in the paper that they didn't like the wackadoodles that was a term that they used they did not like the wackadoodles um, which I thought really and um, and then they said we don't need that kind coming into town. So when they have their local papers write about this or this local journalist um, specifically, they are very harsh about it. And they seem to think, well, we've got the local voice. You know, we can say whatever we want because they're trying to sway the locals into, uh, you know, not wanting to be on board, not wanting to speak up because they'll be ridiculed as well, which is what happened with the Great Barrington Historical Society. But when I take it to the Boston Globe and I call Dugan or I call, you know, Billy Baker, um, who covered it originally, or I call uh, ABC News New York or Heather Covier, um, suddenly now it gets picked up and it starts circulating internationally. And now they don't like it because they can't sway that press. They can only control the little local press. So I can't win battling it locally. I've got to, I have to take it, uh, you know, uh, I've got to, it, there has to be a, a bigger playing field for me to have my advantage. I'm never going to be able to control this or get um, get you know uh, get my hands around it if I stay to the little local argument or fight or the local. I'm worried about taking them to court too because if I take them to Superior Court, that would be in Pittsfield, Mass., which would probably be about 25 minutes outside town. But if I take them to the local court system, you know, do I really have a shot at winning that? Right? right, they control the press, they control the paper, they got the, the uh, you know, the mayor. I mean, who's going to want to turn? Who's going to want to go up against the town? You know, so I don't know if I could even win. So right now, um, my uh, my legal team, I say legal team, is like two or three of them. Well, actually, I got a lot of lawyers in Florida too that know me, and and they're all giving me advice. And and then I've got Scott Madden, who actually is a millionaire in St. Pete Beach, who I've known since I was a kid. Um, he say he called me today, and he's like, "Listen, if you need an extra, you know, five, ten thousand bucks, let me know. It's yours to file." And I literally said that to me not even five hours ago. Um, of course, I didn't take him up on it because I'm I'm okay right now. But it was nice to hear that, you know. Right, so I've had a lot support, of right yeah. right, yeah. He actually uh, he sold a company to I think it was 3M for like three and a half million bucks, and just bought a six hundred thousand dollar catamaran. So for him to give me fifty, you know. <laughs> Let's say five or ten thousand bucks. I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll break him. No, it's not going to break him. So, but but he also knows I can win this, right? He also knows that there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's another, there's something else driving this, and that's I think if I know what the hurdle is, I can overcome it. I just don't know what the hurdle is. I don't know what the like you said. I don't know what's really the why here, and so uh, so then again, if I don't know the why, I don't know who's behind it. I don't know what court to take it to. Yeah, it's not a fair fight unless you know who you're fighting. Well said, and that's exactly it. So if I go to if I go to the Great Barrington Courthouse, which is you know in their backyard, and file small claims, let's say let's say I file a small claims court, which I'm a case in in court, which I'm going to do anyway because I've here's my angle on this thing. To be honest with you, how I'm going to proceed, okay? It I'm filing two lawsuits uh, probably in the next two weeks on two individuals, not the town itself, because I don't know if the town is really behind it. I don't want right. to insult. You don't know if it's the machinations of just a couple of people or yeah, – There you go. Right. right. So I'm going to file on the individuals themselves and see who comes to support them. And if I take them to small claims, 
and I only say $2,500 lawsuit, right? Just something little like that, right? It's going to cost them more to lawyer up than it is to file, you know, no contest or guilty plea, right? So I could actually win very easily by keeping the amounts low and then taking them to small claims for defamation. Once I've got them for defamation, then I can go after, then I've proved that they've lied. Now I can go after the newspapers for libel because they printed a lie that was already proven to be a lie in court. That's where the big case comes from. It comes from libel. For printing things that are not true. Right, absolutely. And we've, we've got some people in the chat room who are, you know, cautioning you not to give away your legal strategy, but just putting it out there could be <laughs> know, enough right? to, to scare them into, you know, compliance. But I do have to wrap things up a little bit, Tom. Uh, we are, uh, we're, we've actually gone over time a little bit. Uh, why don't you let everybody know how they can keep up with everything, uh, with the website and with you on social media and they can follow along with the story and also reach out to, to be able to donate because we've already got somebody asking how much for two bricks. Well, there there isn't any bricks there, actually. Um, it's but it's really grass and stuff. But I, I would, <laughs> I say, I say we start building something with some bricks because yeah. they want to buy you know, them. Okay, <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we should. Um, I would say any any anything would help. Five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks would be great. Um, you know what? I'd like that. You know, there's been talk about planting some willow trees out there because it's it's a tree that I love. It's a tree that's been around us or since we were kids and. And when we had the event, there was a willow tree. So we're thinking of planting some willow trees. So trees would be nice, you know, that kind of thing, make it more park-like. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, my my my, uh, my my contact information, um, my website is uh, T-H-O-M-R-E-E-D uh, dot net, Tomreed.net. And, um, of course, the UFO Monument Park is ufomonumentpark.com. It's also uh, uh, Atlas Obscura has it, has it listed. Um, it's on um, – uh, Yahoo, Google Maps, uh, MapQuest, uh, TripAdvisor, Ro- uh, Roadside America. And that's the other thing. It's become a destination spot. A lot of people like the park. And if you saw the park five years ago, it was nothing but weeds and grass that came up to your knees or your waist. Now it's a beautiful park. And uh, so I'll tell you something. You go. To, I know you got to go. But if you go to the website, you'll actually see the kids, you know, fixing up the park. People chainsawing down branches. People, they weren't paid. They came and they just did out of the goodness of their heart because they remember something or their brother or sister remembered something. If you go to the ufomonumentpark.com and look at all the pictures, those people just out of the goodness of their heart went up there and helped clean it up. They brought a truck full of mulch. They brought um, uh, pickup trucks full of mulch. Wow. Um, rocks were de- delivered. People were out there scrubbing off the the rocks and cleaning them up and putting down stone. It's amazing that the the outpouring for this park and 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 to lose it would just be like she said it would just be a, a you know an injustice. And the fact know. that something that is so beyond humanity, an experience that is something kind of outside of of us brings us closer together and and gives people a reason to to work hand in hand and to do something nice for each other and i think mm-hmm. that that's a, a message that goes beyond whatever it is that was the original impetus for this to happen uh the fact that it can be such a unifying thing is probably the, of the utmost importance well listen to your listeners how do i how do i sponsor a brick no that's... one asked them for anything mm-hmm. see what i mean well, and it's so yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I was well, going to say we'll, we'll just keep yeah. uh, we'll keep pushing them to the website uh, and and make sure that uh, anybody that wants to 
donate and, and wants to find out more, if uh, for some reason you know you, you need more information, you can always uh, check us out too as well. Email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll get you in touch with Tom. Tom, thank you for joining us and for sharing all this information and for helping us uh, kind of understand everything that's going on and, and really get the word out there. I, I hope that this is going to be a big backlash and that we will uh, will I don't want to say rest them into submission, but we you know we'll <laughs> we'll get the fight to to dissipate against you and, and get things rolling yeah. the way they should be. Well, thanks so much, Tim and Matt. Thanks again for having me. And anytime, guys, um, just give me a call. I'd love to come back on. Thank you so right. much. Thank you. Have a great night. Happy night, Tom. Yeah. Good night, buddy. Bye bye. And that is Tom Reed. Again, you can check out his website, TomReed.com. That's T-H-O-M-R-E-E-D. And then, of course, uh, UFOMonumentPark.com. And just the final couple of moments that we have before we go, just want to remind everybody about Parabox Monthly. If you want to get some really cool T-shirts, silkscreen T-shirts, nice, soft, comfortable T-shirts that are super comfortable, uh, this this is, you know, this yeah. is a spooky South Coast shirt that I've been wearing for 12 years. <laughs> And I've kind of worn it into, they were comfortable to begin with, you know, but I've kind of worn it into where I want it. You don't have to worry about that with Parabox Monthly. Comes automatically soft, cushy. It's like wearing an old friend. Wearing It's almost like you were wearing the skin of somebody who had passed away. (laughs) Okay, Buffalo Bill. Right, but... uh, (laughs) No, in in all actuality, they're great silkscreen T-shirts. You'll be engrossed by the T-shirt, though, because there's a puzzle built into it. Codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, other hidden gems that you need to figure out for yourself while you're wearing a shirt. So it's not just clothing. It's also an adventure. So you can find out about how you can get involved with a month-to-month plan, a three-month plan, a six-month plan. No contracts. You can cancel any time. Give it a try. You've got nothing to lose. Well, maybe you lose the puzzle if you don't figure it out. But they have paranormal themes like ghosts and haunted locations, UFO encounters and aliens, folklore and legends, cryptozoology and urban legends, all of that available from Parabox Monthly. Just go to ParaboxMonthly.com, use the promo code SPOOKYLIVE, and you'll save 10% on your order. So again, ParaboxMonthly.com, use the promo code SPOOKYLIVE. And that about does it for this week's show. We actually went overtime a little bit, but the topic was so great, so important. Yeah. And, and as Tom said, you don't hear this story everywhere else. Well, I've known Tom for years, and I've known the case. And uh, when I first heard this from him, he was very upset, and I knew we had to have him on. And now it's coming to a head. So. And, you know, right, and, uh, and I'm glad that our audience is, uh, is behind it and supporting it. Thank you to everybody who joined us tonight, whether you are a regular, whether you are a first-timer. Thank you for checking us out. Hopefully you'll be back next week. We'll be back next week with another edition of Spooky South Coast. If you want to get a hold of us during the week, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com is our email. You can follow us on Twitter at SpookySC. You can follow me at Tim Weisberg. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. You'll find uh, over 500 episodes. This is episode 535. So if you are new to the show, got a lot of catching up to do and you can do that either through the audio podcast or through the video archives on youtube Uh, if you are a fan of the video just go to the youtube channel hit subscribe you will get an alert every time we go live every time there's a new video posted you'll be the first to know and like i said that does it for tonight's show we've gone overtime i'm already ready to pack it in and go to bed (laughs) not really i'm so jazzed up from the show now i'm going to be you know researching things all night long (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the 
greatest joke I'm ever going to tell, apparently. So until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, who's out uh, out of the studio tonight, for everybody involved with the show, we want you all to stay spooktacular.